Riders! Riders! Riders up! You're like, stop sucking the cock of the corporate clones. Like the corporate clones, right? Corporate stop clones. sucking the cock of the. Stop sucking the schmegma. In, it was stop sucking. No, the stop schmegma. It. it was the schmegma infested cock of the corporate clones. Come on. Hello. Hello. Hey, what's happening here? Hold on, hold on. Um, hello. hello. Of hello. course. Of course. Literally. Literally <laughs> no sirens. Not a not a fucking siren. I mean, and then I just, get on this it call. It happens. It just happens. Ooh, I'm I don't love it. I'm, it's annoying. <laughs> I'm hearing a bunch of static, so I'm trying to figure out what that might be. That's weird. I don't hear static on this side. Oh, that's better. What just happened? I didn't do anything. Now I just hear a bird singing happily. There is a really loud fucking bird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. right. That bird is so loud. Now we just have a delightful bird. Oh my God, this bird. I took a video of the bird because I had a feeling. He seems like he's in the wrong place. He is going. No, wait, but by the way, he flew from the roof of this building to another building somewhere. I couldn't find him because he's real little and was making, it was like far away making that noise. Oh my God. Uh, the last 10 minutes, we had the siren, and now he's back. He's, I can tell he's right here. He is, he's looking for some action. Wait, did I ever tell you about the bird when I went to the pharmacy? I went to the pharmacy, and I was, like, getting out of my car, and there was an apartment building next door with balconies, and someone had a caged some type of bird on their balcony. And it was singing in that beautiful way of like when a man is really good at whistling, you know? But it's not it's not beautiful when a man whistles like that, but when a bird does it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not interested in like, you know what's on my list of things that a man just must be able to do. But you know when an old man can really whistle and he really like goes yeah, to yeah, town yeah, whistling? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's sure. what this bird was doing. And it like was definitely a song and it the bird knew the song. But as soon as I got out all the way out of my car, he stopped. And so I was like, oh, I want to hear that little bird again. So I was waiting and waiting for the bird to sing again. And it just wasn't, like it was just, it just wasn't singing. And so finally I was like, well fuck this, I have to go into the pharmacy. Like, I can't stand here all day waiting on this bird. So then I just locked my car, and you know how it goes, chit, chit. <laughs> like, yeah. boop, boop. Then the bird was like, boop, 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 boop. It just mocked me. It just, it just mimicked my car locking sound. <laughs> <laughs> I got negged by a fucking asshole, talented bird. We the bird negged you. Yeah. He was like, Oh, you want to hear me sing? Boop boop. He's like, It sounds fuck just you, like lady. your just like your Ford Escape. Boop boop. <laughs> Not like a talented human whistling man. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I was so insulted and embarrassed. I felt like foolish. Like I was like, I want to support your talent, bird. 
I'm here well, for the you. Bird wasn't, the bird wasn't having it. No, was he was not having it. Just put it on a long list of problems me and birds have had over the years. <laughs> It was a real fuck you. I was vi- I was so embarrassed, and then I was like, then I was embarrassed that I was mad because I was like, what? I'm mad at a bird. Like what? What's happening? What? Where did my life go wrong that I'm like in a beef with a bird? Listen, sometimes you get into <laughs> fights with animals or babies. You know, sometimes there's a baby that's your enemy. You oh can't, my god! You can't explain it, but it just is true. Did you see the video of that man losing his shit on the airplane because the baby was crying? I did not see that. Oh I have been seeing a ton of things on the internet. Just that's, been, you know what? That's good. You, it's good yeah. that you didn't see that video. And why would I have like fucking murdered that guy? No, I just think it was like it really spoke to me about like what a precipice we are at as a people and how like uh. he wasn't right. He wasn't right about you know, having like a flip out, but it just like, I also don't think he was in, in a good place at that moment. You know what I mean? Like he was definitely right. wrong about uh, flipping out over the baby, but it didn't seem like he had control of what was happening. So. Because of mental illness or because. No, I just think he like lost his shit. He seemed like a very, you know, regular guy on a plane. He just lost his mind and then he couldn't, you know, once you, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube, especially on an airplane, you know? Sometimes, yeah, that's true. I would say that's true. So anyway, I'm glad you didn't see it. Everyone should un- try to unsee it who saw it, but I know most of you probably really? saw it. Yeah, because it was just It was like, that terrible? I mean- Now I, I feel like I have to watch I it. I feel like the guy who was recording it was snickering, but I just felt bad for everyone because it was- a, Ugh. Well, see, was is that why it went viral? That it was like, people thought it was funny? No, no. I think people were okay, just like, look at this guy flipping out because a baby was crying. And then people were like, you know, people don't know that babies can't control themselves on a plane, but adults can control themselves. And I was like, it doesn't seem like anyone's in control of this situation. It was, it was rough. But I just, it, you know, you just see the threads of society unraveling, you know? And you're like, yeah, the- the plane is the well. We've talked about it a million times. Like people are not we really have people are not able to keep it together on a plane. No, I mean I can't watch a movie without crying <laughs> on an airplane. I saw sometimes I just sob the whole flight for no reason. Really pulls emotions out of you. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> How was your well, anyway. okay? So you went and you did what you had to do, and now we're back. I went to work. Yeah. I came home. Yeah. The bird was loud. <laughs> I went out onto the patio that was just redone. How's it the looking? Work. Looks great. Good. And then, what is this on oh, my tooth? Oh, God. Something I was eating earlier. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, went out onto the balcony. Smoked a little bit of a joint, came back in, got on the phone with you. Nice. And here we are. All right. Um, tomorrow's my last day of work. I can't believe it. Wow. Girls Five Eva. Also, I feel like earlier today I was not awake. 
don't know. Like when we spoke earlier, I like I'm also like we should just throw it away. I just feel like <laughs> I was so I was so kind of like zombif zombified. Yeah. I was so just I hadn't eaten all I hadn't eaten yet. Okay. See, here is okay. Here's a good thing that I think people would like to hear about like our friendship and our co working dynamic. Because this morning you were like, and I know you're like the podcast is due. Like the fact that we're recording at this time probably means that the podcast will be late tomorrow. And it's fine because we're our own bosses, you know? in doing mm -hmm. this, and that was by design. But earlier today, you said, I have one hour. Do you want to start recording the podcast? And I was- And what did you ask? I said- You asked? If you want to, but are you sure you don't want to just take the hour? Right. And you were like, might as well get on and record. Well, because the concern for me was that I wasn't going to get out right, tonight. Right. At, like, I didn't know that what was going to happen. Right. We're just, with work. we're just guessing. So I was like hedging. Yeah. By saying, like, oh, fuck. No, we should do it. Right. Yeah. You were now, just trying to case. be, we're, you're trying to be responsible to the podcast, but, but it right. maybe but, wasn't the most responsible to yourself. Right. Maybe it was not. It wasn't. It wasn't bad. It was not. It's not interesting. It's not, <laughs> it, I can't. I can't imagine we want to like literally. I don't think. We, has Josh started editing it? Because I just feel like we should just take it off the market. No, because you didn't send your um your files. Great. Of it. Didn't send my files in. <laughs> so because even then I knew I knew it was a dud. No, oh it was a dud. My God. Okay. So this is the podcast, guys. Hi, <laughs> welcome to the show. It's me, Busy Phillips, Casey Saint Ange. Sitting across from me as usual. Here, virtually. We virtually already, here. We already warmed up by talking we about... We warmed up. We Yeah, and we're so happy that you guys uh, are joining us. <laughs> um, the Writers Guild strike started today. Yeah. And uh, Mark went out, was on the picket lines today. Good. I'm glad he did. Yeah. I know it's like a little weird because he's a member of the Writers Guild West. Um, yeah, but this, he's picketing the in the East. It is the same, but you know, they do have different vibes in my opinion, <laughs> a little bit different, you know? Um, but I'm glad he went out and I'm glad he, I'm sure he knew a ton of people. I think he like ran into some people he knew. Yeah. It was, it, that's, I feel like that's the unexpected. Yes. One thing that is like sort of nice for writers. Well, it's literally solidarity. And yeah, you have solidarity. And you have like yeah. some companion. I know a, a lot of friends of mine and m myself are already like, okay, like let's plan, you know, <laughs> some inexpensive well, in get togethers so that we can like emotionally support each other through this, you know, it's a hard time. It's not it's, a, it's not fun and games. Not easy. Yeah. Well yeah, I mean, in our first hour that was really boring that we're not <laughs> going to play for you guys, we talked a lot about the WGA strike and about how, you know, fighting for equality, um, for equality of pay and like um, 
you know, compensation when like the rules are constantly changing in terms of like streaming and how things are quantifiable. It's like all complicated. The writers are asking for like their demands are very reasonable and the studios is the same old story. The studios are like these corporations now. They have shareholders. Yeah. And they're like, they're literally like big wig fat cats. Right. (laughs) And then the artists and the writers, the writers and artists are like, oh wait, but please sir, may I have some more? (laughs) Right. And the, and they're like ashing their proverbial studio cigars in the porridge. Is that yeah. a good analogy? Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it, it's like, it's just very intense. And obviously like I've been with Mark uh, in like in his life for, for eight, so many years, 18, 17. Yeah. Anyway, um, and seen the ebbs and flow of this business, but also like exactly what they're fighting for, the residual drop-off that happened when streaming happened. And residuals are really important to a lot of writers because it sustains them through the swaths of time when they don't have a new job because that happens. Right. Anyway, we fully support the WGA. I'm a reason why I'm a member of the WGA. Casey's I, a member. I'm not on a show right now, so I, it's weird. I was saying to a friend this morning, like it's weird to be not on strike because I don't have anything to strike from. But obviously, like I am on strike. If anyone approached me about doing something, I would have to say no at this time. Right. I've struck with the WGA before when I was on a show, so you know, I I feel like. That time in 2007, I felt like the vibe was fear. Like, I felt everybody felt very fearful about, like, what's going to happen. This time, I think everybody seems so much more savvy and they seem angry. And rightfully so. Well, we've learned. We've learned. I have to say, as an actor, as, like, a person in that union. Yeah. It's just, you know, we've seen what's happened with... It's just... Whatever. I know. Because... and Anyway. We should talk to Abdi about this, our guest yes, today, when yes. he jumps on because yeah. he is a writer and he has a lot to say about it. And we we were I we have we have a story. We have a story to tell <laughs> together about this. So we'll, so let's like move to my last day of work. Yeah, let's hear about it. <sighs> it's just I'm gonna miss it so much. Aww. I love these women so intensely. Sarah Brellis got nominated for a Tony today. That's amazing. It's the best. Also, so not I, to not to derail, but our friend Amber Ruffin was also nominated for a Tony today. Oh, I know. I saw that. It was so very exciting. exciting as anyway, well. but Sarah Brellis um, is nominated for a Tony. I feel like she, I mean, thank God she was nominated for a Tony because I don't even want to know what I'd be thinking if she wasn't, but I'm so happy that she was and I'm really rooting for her. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. I love her so much. Um, so I got, well, earlier, guys, we're not going to play that part, but <laughs> earlier you would have heard that Kirsten was here. And as we started recording the dud of the hour, <laughs> I uh, I asked Kirsten to run out and get a bottle of champagne and a thing of flowers to bring to Sarah at work from me and the other two girls, even though it was just my idea and I was the one that did it. 
Um, but I just said that it was from all three of us because I'm a giver like that, you guys. That is the kind of person I am. <laughs> if you're friends with me, I you will are. always put your name on a card. You, you, you are. forgot and I remembered you are, you're on the card. Anyway. That's so nice. I really appreciate that because that's how your brain works. And yeah, that's also well, it's, generous. It's a little bit generous, but it's also, um, I don't know. I think maybe a little bit, it's like a thing of like, I, I know that my love language is gifts and yeah. it's something I think about and I come up with yes. for other people. So like, I want to include, like Sarah Brellis could give a fuck about gifts. Right. Like she actually is like, Paula's love language is gifts and my love language is gifts. Okay. Of course, because we're like, we're like sisters. Yeah. Um, but Renee and Sarah both don't care about gifts. Okay. You know? All right. But anyway, my point just is that I like to bring my friends in if it's not their love language and let them enjoy it so that maybe they can see how great it is to give gifts and then maybe my <laughs> gifts get better. <laughs> oh I'm kidding. My God. But I mean, not a bad, maybe, maybe that's why I do it. I don't know. Well, what do they um, say? What do they say about gifts like that you always like that you should give that people give the gift that they wish that they were getting? I don't think that's all necessarily true because I think people do give thoughtful gifts, but I do sometimes think like you should pay attention to like the level of gift that someone is giving you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, like for there's sure. nothing worse than like a mitch a mismatched gift level. Well, that was okay, but earlier in the podcast, Kirsten was texting me pictures of flowers yeah. from the flower shop, and I was saying she knows that I have a real thing about like ugly flowers and I right. love getting flowers. Right. I love it. It's actually, it's the surest way to my heart <laughs> is sending me beautiful fucking flowers, beautiful, uh. classy fucking flowers. And, um, this guy that broke my heart, um, used to send me the ugliest fucking flowers. Like wow. never could get it right. Yeah. It's a sign. I'm just telling you. Interesting. You know who else else was always really picky about flowers? Elton John. David Letterman. Not picky, not picky about receiving, but sending. He was very particular Me too. about like what certain flowers said. And like his father was a florist. And so, yeah, he was and very- I'm David Letterman's child. You're going to yeah. tell them now, right? <laughs> I'm his secret love child. Maybe. Now the truth can come out. I don't know if that's true. I feel like you guys would have connected the dots on that one when you've spoken in the past. But um, no, it just, I think it's interesting. I think it's like, it's really thoughtful to, you know, I know that I always loved getting flowers from him because I know that he put a great deal of thought into them and he sent flowers a lot, which was, you know, that was how he said thank you. That was how he said I'm thinking of you. And he and I knew how much thought he put into it, but I'm sure a lot of people didn't. I think it's interesting that your love language is flowers. Well, my love language is gifts. Is gifts, but, but particularly I, am, I do realize that, but also I think it's like, oh, I know why they're it's my favorite gift. Cause I'm never disappointed if they're beautiful flowers. Okay. All right. You know, but like when but somebody ugly. gives 
Well, it's, I'm telling you, I, I'm never going to accept ugly flowers from a man again. If I ever get sent, I'm not kidding. If That's I ever it. get sent flowers and they're fucking ugly from a man, you're dead to me. Oh my God. You're so lucky that you did not date Matt because this is not his fault. But when Matt and I were dating, he worked in, he worked for a caterer, like a wedding hall that would throw weddings. And sometimes they would just leave behind the centerpieces. So whatever the bride had picked, like Matt would bring home a centerpiece for me. And I had gotten my wisdom teeth out and, uh, Maybe you all know this about me by now, but I'm really, really sensitive to and, like, badly hurt by any minor surgery. And so, like, I'm allergic to anesthesia, blah, 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 the whole nine. I got black eyes. I had a swollen face. I was unconscious forever. And then I threw up forever after I woke up. And then uh, I finally got to come home. And I was just, like, so feeble, like, uh, laying on the sofa like a squirrel and he came home and he brought home this centerpiece that was stargazer lilies you know the one i don't know what no oh the ones that drop yellow everywhere yes and i was like oh god that is so nice of you and then like 10 minutes later i was like those flowers smell like pee Ugh. and I'm going to throw up. And, you, and they and they drop that yellow stuff everywhere. They smell like a mixture of pee and noxema to me. Oh, they just smell gross. Ugh. I don't. I was like, I had to make him throw the flowers out and like far away yeah. from my house. And I felt so bad because he was just trying to be like a little thoughtful. But I was just like, I'm going to vomit from those flowers. But that could have been the end of us, you know? He could have been like, she's she's real rough about bad flowers. Or I could have been like, he doesn't know a good flower. But we were young, so. Yeah, well, in my youth, I would accept a bad flower. Yeah, you'd let it slide. You know? But I'm not young anymore. I'm 40 fucking three years old and, and I you, want beautiful flowers you want sent beautiful to me. flowers. I had a girlfriend just the other day that was like, she's dating a guy and he sent her ugly flowers and she just- it's, Is this true? Yeah. Really? She, she fully like, she texted an old boyfriend and was like, what's your secret? Because when we were together, you always sent the best flowers. I need you to like talk to this guy. But then she also fully took a picture of the flowers and sent them to the guy she was dating and was like, dude, these are so ugly. Like, I'm so mad that you wasted your money. <laughs> and he was- Oh my God. He was kind of like, what? It's flowers. And she was like, can he not Oof. objectively see that these are objectively ugly flowers? Listen, it pays to know what you're talking about, I guess, when you're ordering flowers and to be particular, you know? Sometimes I think, like, even what you order online and you think you're getting the thing that you're seeing a picture of and it doesn't really... But you you have to go... You just got to go one step beyond, like, just a generic florist. You have to do a little bit... Yes. ...of research. If, if you get custom like, work. All I'm saying... <laughs> What? You have to get you custom get, work done. You have to have custom work. But also, like, this is... so Okay, so but this is love languages, right? Yeah. Like, so to me, when a man sends me ugly f flowers... Yeah. One person. Um, <laughs> Maybe you're dating the same guy. You were dating the same guy <laughs> that my friend is going out with now. <laughs> oh boy that's 
<laughs> really upsetting. The ugly flower bandit strikes again. <laughs> oh my God, is it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, before Aura Frames was even advertising on our podcast, this was the gift that I got my parents this Christmas and Mark's parents because I love it so much because we all take millions of photos on our phones. Right. That's And, and that's where like, they stay forever. They, they stay n- there. They stay there. Yeah. I always forget. No one prints out photos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just very rare that you print out a photo. Exactly. And the Aura, guys, in case you don't know, it's a digital photo frame, but it's so easy to use that even I am able to add pictures <laughs> to it in a very easy way. Yeah. And I loved it so much that I got one for myself and then I got one, I put one in my dressing room at work. Oh, nice. And what's so great about it is that I have it set so the photos change and I just feel like it just helps me stay sort of connected with my family and with my friends. Right. You can invite other people like Emily Beebe can add photos to my aura frame. And so then like every once in a while, I'll get like a new photo of like Emily or her dog that like (laughs) pops up. I love that. And then I feel like not as disconnected. Mother's Day is coming up, right? Right. And this is a perfect gift for any mom in your life. And it was one of Oprah's favorite things. Not that you needed us to tell you that because you probably already knew, but you know, Oprah loves it too. I was a customer before they were advertising. I love these aura frames. It's the perfect gift for anyone in your life, anyone in your life. But right now, Aura does have a great deal for Mother's Day. Our listeners can save on the very perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's Aura, A-U-R-A, frames.com. Use code BUSY to get up to $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling Carver frames. That's what I have. They're so great. I have a white one. I also have a black one. (laughs) I love them. Yes. This deal is over on May 14th. So don't wait. I'm actually writing it down right now so that I can remember that I'm going to do that as well for Mother's Day for my friends. And I'm going to use my own code. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I'm going to do. So guys, AuraFrames.com. Use code BUSY. The deal ends May 14th. Don't wait. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Green Pan. Guys, I don't know if you saw, but I posted this on my Instagram stories. There's like, people are 90% plastic at this point, you know? (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. And part of it is because of this nonstick coating, these pans that became very popular when we were all growing up and coming of age. Right. And then in, in 2007, the founders of Green Pan discovered that traditional nonstick pans were made with plastic coatings that turned toxic with right. heat. And that's why they decided to create an alternative without the forever chemicals. And Green Pan introduced the world to ceramic nonstick cookware, and they have over 150 patents to prove it. They're leaders in creating cookware without harmful toxins. It's important <laughs> that we <laughs> 
try to eliminate the toxins where and when we can. And the, right. one of the easiest ways those toxins are getting into our bods, guys, is through those pans. Yeah. Heat plus chemicals is not great. So ceramic pans don't emit fumes when you're cooking. It conducts heat evenly, super easy to clean up, and allows you to cook with less oil or butter if, you, if you're trying to do that. I make those quesadillas for cricket and no oil in that pan. And that quesadilla does not stick. (laughs) Even when I get the cheese everywhere, because that's how I do. And aside from like their adorable colorways that the pans come in, they also have kitchen appliances like slow cookers and waffle makers. They've got bakeware. They've got cutlery that's crafted from recycled steel and... They offer a 60-day return policy, so you have plenty of time to make sure that the green pan is right for you and was working for you. I really have loved our green pans. They're just in constant rotation in our house. It's 2023. Are you still cooking with pans made out of plastic? Head over to greenpan.us and use promo code BEST and you're going to receive 30% off your entire order plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right, 30% off. Whether you buy one pan or a whole set, 30% off. So head on over to greenpan.us and make sure you use our promo code BEST. Uh, Anyway, anyway. Back to flowers. Back to flowers. Because I just feel like if you, okay, I saw, I've like been really into the Instagram therapists. I love them. I love them all. Yes. I love the, I love the ones where I agree. I love the ones where I'm like, this person's an idiot. I like fucking love all of them. Wait, there's one that- some of them are really good. I'm like obsessed with this man right now that I love. He gives these like really short, it's all like relationship- Yes, I think stuff. it's the same guy. Jeff, Jeff yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you if that's I've who posted, it was. Because, you know, I posted, I've like posted on my stories yes. him before. I'm very into him. Yes. Um, Jeff, we love you. Yeah, Jeff, you, he followed me back. So I feel like. <gasps> he does? Yeah, oh my gosh. I do so feel like lucky. I, yeah, he's great. I love him too. Wait, but like weird, when you look, go to his profile page, like if you were just at his profile page, look, it looks yeah, like- Yeah, it doesn't, like, yes. That's so weird. What What is that? Because that's like his brand, but that's not the videos that you see all the time when uh, he's like doing his cute little, those are like his thumbnails. When you click, wow. it has like a graphic on Therapy yeah, Jeff's yeah, yeah, page. Yeah. But then when you click on it, it's cute little Therapy Jeff in his plaid shirt saying the five reasons you should dump your guy right away because he's the worst or whatever. He doesn't say anything like that. I do. No, he doesn't. But like, I just really like him so much. Yeah, me too. Oh, it's not about figuring out all the things that are wrong with you and fixing yourself to be the perfect person person that you want to be. It's like about accepting yourself for what you've identified and like working towards it and having somebody that and being compassionate towards yourself, whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking about how I'm like, oh, I think people do get very rigid when they're like, I know that I deserve X. And like, you know, like 
boundary setting, I think, can be very confusing for people sometimes because yeah. they think it they have to be like hard and fast and this is always the my boundary. Right. But like everything, it's kind of like fluid. You know what I mean? So you, or it should be at right. its, in its best version. I mean, obviously there are certain boundaries, whatever. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yes. That we have to be flexible. That like sometimes you're with a person and like everything else is in line and you're like, oh, one of my things is that like I deserve a person who like can can show me how much they love me by sending me beautiful flowers. Right. My point is, I think I could be flexible with ugly flowers if everything else was like... On point. Perfect. Yeah. Or on point or like... But if ugly flowers is systemic of the bigger issues... Right. Emblem, and emblematic of... Emblematic even. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. What if you were to get a flower arrangement that was like carnations made into the shape of like a poodle? Would you Obviously, like that? Obviously, that's amazing. You would yes. like that? Okay, good. A hundred percent. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, I... Listen, you know she can go high and low. Yes. I just need the low to be self-aware. Yes. Okay. All right. You know, and by the way, that's just the fucking, that's that's the overarching <laughs> theme, I think, is self-awareness for yes. me. Like, I would like to, to be with a person who has self-awareness, like, in a very strong way. Because I have a lot of self-awareness. I get that. I think that's, I think that's right. Well, I because hope- then if they were like, I don't have money, I like fancy flowers or nice flowers are often expensive, right? Whatever, but they got me like carnations in the shape of Gina. I mean, I would. <laughs> that's like the greatest thing I've ever. Or, or like carnations in the shape of any animal. Honestly, right? Carnations in the shape of an owl. That'd be great. Well, then we're getting married. <laughs> then, I think you then would, I'm then I'm in. I think you would love even some like peonies from Trader Joe's. Well, that's the okay now, and now we're really at the core of it, which is that I've I've I have purchased beautiful flowers on a budge. Yeah, like I I know they're. It's you just got to do a little bit more work. They're out there. Yeah, you just have to, you know. And even if you were just to bring flowers, not send them via a company right. or whatever. Right. If you were just to bring the flowers, there are ways to bring flowers that are really beautiful and also inexpensive, like a ribbon. Yes. <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying And here. not just like, like if you buy the peonies at Trader Joe's, you take them out of the package. Right. And then you just like, Take a little brown paper, wrap it around, or even just a ribbon. Right. Or a piece of fucking fabric. <laughs> a piece of denim. Cut just the bottom something. the bottom of your jeans off. Yeah. And it's you're not wearing hard, guys. You're you wearing just have jorts. To be creative. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly your date night outfit Artistic. is is jorts, which every girl loves. <laughs> and then <laughs> And just like one-sided jorts because it's only one bouquet of flowers. So one leg is still fully there. <laughs> and then, you don't even have to like... I'm sort of... 
<laughs> you don't even have to slit open the leg of your pants because it's like a nice tube you can put the flowers in. Okay, but here is my point though about <laughs> buying like buying flowers or whatever from from a grocery store to bring to a person, which I think is totally totally a, an a okay wonderful thing to do. Yeah, just take it out of the plastic and yes. just make it a little cuter. That's all agree, I'm saying. Agree. I okay, love okay. when sometimes when Emily Beebe will have a dinner, um, which I'm sure you're fully aware of, but you guys throw a lot of dinners together when you're in town. But when she's just having like- And a, when we lived together, and the when parties, you lived the together. dinner parties were epic. Try to plug this light in, but yeah, keep talking. When she is just having like a few friends over for dinner, you always ask, obviously, Sure, I'd love to come. What can I bring? And she never wants you to bring anything because she's throwing the party, obviously. And she's doing all the cooking and she's vegan. So she's going to make like some vegan, amazing vegan recipe or whatever. But I love that she always says, you can bring me flowers. (laughs) (laughs) She means that. I know. I always do because it's so much easier than trying to make some bullshit salad. You know, that I'm like, is does this go with the dinner or like some wine? Like one time I brought her, she asked if I could bring a bottle of wine because she was like low on wine. And I just grabbed wine from my house and brought it. And then she was like, I brought this wine to your house. This is the wine I brought you. And oh I was like, my God. <laughs> and I was like, I know, I didn't know, but I, that's, that totally makes sense. But I didn't open it. I didn't drink it. I'm returning it back to you, back to the fold. But anyway, <sighs> agreed on all these things. We are definitely in alignment. And I just want to say if any uh, potential boyfriends out there are listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Guys, I'm kidding. I couldn't find the fucking thing to plug the light in too. It's kind of, it's don't know a vibe. It's good. I lo- are it's, you are you feeling like you're gonna get sleepy in the I, darkness? I'm in the dark. No, <laughs> no, I don't feel like that. I just, I just, you know, I have a thing with light. I like light. Yeah. Turns out I like to be around light. Um, I want those flashing lights in my. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh Jesus! Sorry, guys. Okay. All right, plugged in that light. I got it. You did it. There Which is, go. it's a little better. It's yeah, little better. I can see your face again. Um, Any potential well, boyfriends out there? Flowers. I mean, that was just a... Think about them. Think about the types. What do you, what's your, what's your favorite bouquet you've ever gotten? Oh, I got a really beautiful bouquet of flowers from Tina Fey. Um, that was like gorge. Oh, nice. Okay. I know. Yeah. I loved them. What were, um, the, what were, what was in there? I don't know. They were like, just like delicate little flowers and it was just like so beautifully arranged and I don't know. I just loved it. Um, okay. Wait. Gift giving my love language. I have other things to discuss. What's your love language? My, and did I nail it with your birthday gift? Oh that my you god! Came a month early. The birthday gift. Busy sent a package that had Abdi's book in it, who's going to be joining us, and also a gift, which was another my second banana purse gift from you. This one is so fancy, but this is the one. 
It's, I mean, it's great. I can't wait to use it. Because it's big. Yes. And you know, I love a big old bag. Um, I love it. It's so nice. Thank you. That was so thoughtful of you. I love it. Um, well, you're welcome. And <laughs> Abdi's book, which neither one of us have had time to read. Right. Yeah. Because you just got it. And yeah. I've been working. Um, but I'm such a huge fan of my friend, Abdi Nazemian <laughs> and his books. Yes. Um, of which there are many. And we'll talk to him about that. Yes. Um, tomorrow's my official last day on Girls 5 Eva. I can't fucking believe it. I'm excited I'm for you, I'm gonna miss though. these girls so much. You are, but you're also probably gonna hopefully rest a little bit. Why do you think I need to rest? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think I know. you need to rest, but I think that your body- Rest would be need, good for your me. Your body needs yeah. to rest. Yeah. I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna rest. Um, but- I wanted to say just before moving on from the girls five of it all. Okay. It's hard to describe this season in terms of like, I feel like, I like was so excited the first season to have this job. Yeah. To be doing this show. And it was so fun and it was like very fast in a whirlwind. And also height of the pandemic, all that stuff. Right. And I like really liked Sarah and Renee and Paula so much. Yeah. And we all got along and it was great. And then season two, I was like, this is the best we, I love it. Love these girls. But like, we all have our lives, you know? And I feel like I, I've said that. I said that last year. Right. And then this year, I don't fucking know what it is. The four of us are so in love with each other right now. And like, I'm not kidding. Like, I feel so close to them in a way that is like different than... And it is, it's a thing that happens like just after these many years with a cast. Yeah. You know, because I remember now from Cougar Town, which was six years, that show. Right. That like, it was like the last two years, I was like, oh, this is my family now. Like, right. I will protect them with every ounce of my being. Right. And it hit me like two weeks ago, I think that I all of a sudden was like, Sarah, Renee, and Paula, and Meredith, yeah. Or, and like Kimmy, who's directing all the episodes, because it's like just this fucking girl yeah. crew. But like that these girls, I'm like, oh, oh, they're my family now. Okay. Yeah. Like that's so good. Well, I think you guys lived through a near death experience together. Like the whole thing with like the show not being picked up by Peacock and then wondering if it was going to be brought back. And so I think that. I actually like weirdly thought you were talking about COVID. Oh, no. I Because would, also that. That too. <laughs> but like the stress of COVID and then, you know, figuring out a way to to work, I think like is, it's so great and you overcame so much. And then in the second season, I just remember that you were having a good time, but I think you were all also stressed about 
what the future of the show was going to be. Then the worst thing happened. And then, you know, you were able to like come back from the brink of that. And so I think like, to me, it makes sense in some way that you guys just came back to this with like the most open hearts and ready to do your best work together. And it sounds like you really did. And yeah, there's also something special just about like women working together too, I think. I mean- I think that's part of it too that like is not lost on me that it's taken my entire fucking career to get to this place where I'm like I'm surrounded by women and all of them are super supportive and loving and wonderful and it just you know like yeah it just feels like oh this would have been so great if in the beginning of my career, I felt right, this. Right. Well, that's how it's going to be in Hollywood, too. When <laughs> when we start Hollywood, too, uh, it's going to be all women executives. Wait, so when are we starting Hollywood, too? <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, we just have to, like, figure out what's happening with this strike. But I think we can get started pretty soon. It's going to be I all mean, women what, what executives happens to them? and we, we just like, okay. they, they'll they do the job for like a couple million dollars and nobody mm-hmm. has to make like 30 or 50 or 250 million dollars, just so like a really smart woman doing the job. And then um, a bunch of TV shows being made by women and uh, starring women and only for women. Like if guys want to watch them, great. But if they don't... It's not, like, really our concern. Yeah, no big, you know? I'm sure they'll find things to entertain themselves with uh, back in Hollywood 1. And uh, we'll just... Hollywood 2 will be where it's at for us. I'm in. Where are we building it? (laughs) Is it in the Hudson Valley? That's a good question, where where Hollywood 2 would be located. Bakersfield? (laughs) there's a lot of space out there I'm saying Hudson Valley I think it's Hudson Valley (laughs) because then there can be farms it can be like eco it's true maybe we'll see we'll see how it goes but I think it could work this is my idea yeah (laughs) but sure but those guys are never going to give up Hollywood one no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Just They can just right. have it. Like, do what you will with it, folks, guys. Well, they already have. Yeah, so just keep it. Keep running it into the ground, and then we'll just have Hollywood, too, over here. I'm in. Where everything doesn't have to be a superhero movie. No. Everything doesn't. That deep, not everything has to be that deep, guys. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Easy. No problem. It's going to be great. No problem. It's going to be great. Um, That sounds good. Wait, did I tell you about some old friends of mine came to visit? People that I worked with on two separate shows, a friend from Watch What Happens Live, Paul Stack, who I love. Um, And then uh, my friend, my old friend, my former writer's assistant, Tom Kelly from The Rosie O'Donnell Show. They were both here in L.A. because they were working on a game show together. I hope they got everything done before all of this happened because I don't know how the strike would affect them. But anyway, we went out for brunch 
And I want to ask you a question if you think this is fucked up. Okay. We went out for brunch and it was like kind of like a limited brunch menu, which is fine, but it wasn't like, you know, sometimes brunch has like an eight page menu. And like the only thing I was super interested in was there was like a breakfast sandwich offered that had eggs, bacon, and then it was on like some kind of bread. And I said, can I get the breakfast sandwich just without the bread? And the server was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. And so then he came back and like everybody was having drinks and everything. He came back later and he was like, I'm I'm so sorry, but the chef is uh, refusing to make it that way. And I was like, is the chef a giant bitch? Like, what is, what? I actually hate this so much. <laughs> what? what? I are- hate that. No, I've had it. I had it. I mean, also you have like a glue. You actually have an allergy. It Did was, you have to say that? No. Oh, okay. So the server said, is it a gluten allergy? Because we actually, he will put it on gluten-free bread. And I said, no, it's a wheat allergy. So I just don't want any bread at all. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to deal. And he was like, oh yeah, he won't make it without bread. And I was like, I was like, is is a a rat under his hat controlling his his actions? What's happening? Like, it's not like we were in some fine dining, fancy, you know, where it was the chef. I think that that's, I actually, I hate that even more. Like, I hate it all. Like, it's all (laughs) so obnoxious. Also, some of the best chefs in the world think it's ridiculous. They're like, your job is to is to make food for people. Yeah. Of course you can have a vision, but also if somebody has an aversion, what are you doing? Like, what are you holding on to? What does it say about you? That you must make this sandwich. Anyway, cut to, we roasted the chef to the server for a really long time. And I felt bad for him because he had to stand there and like laugh at all our jokes about what was wrong with the chef. Um, And then later it just came out without the bread anyway. And like the person, you know, it's not the server who delivers the food. Usually it's someone else from the kitchen. And they, I was like, oh, is this mine? I thought that he couldn't make it without bread. And he was like, oh, he just decided he would. But I was like, <laughs> what is happening back there? I just felt like it was a whole drama that, you know, that was playing out that. I think restaurants are a lot of drama. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. It seemed I like... I think that a lot of times restaurants are a lot of drama. Where was it? Can you tell me? You can bleep it out. I don't... It was like some whiskey bar. I don't even know. It was just... What? In studio. It was like a whiskey place that had a brunch menu, which, again, like who... Whatever. Who cares? But because I am a writer, I like to make up a story in my head of what was going on. And I felt like there's some issue between the server and whoever the chef was. And he was just using that request as an opportunity to give the server shit. That's interesting. I always think it just has to do with the ego of the chef. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, both can be true. Both can be, definitely could be true. But I was like, and then just, he just gave me what I wanted anyway and... After all the drama, but I I never had that happen. I never had a chef decline to make something the way that I was asking for it. I have. Have you? I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What did you ask for and what, what did you get? One was that this 
place in Venice, California. And I can't remember. I like literally can't remember. I just remember the exchange with the waiter. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you have to be kidding me. Um, and one was like ha- cooking a steak. <gasps> what did you ask for it? Like well done or something? I asked for medium. Oh, okay. And they only would give it to you medium, medium rare. rare. And I was just like, what's wrong with you? I'm fucking out of your mind. <laughs> I might okay. Wait. To be fair, it might have been medium well. I might have asked for medium oh, well. Well, okay. And then they were. No, it's not okay. I no. mean, I, I, I'm you, just I, saying. It's my. I'm like paying money. It's like when sales girls make you feel bad about not buying a dress. Like, ma'am, you work here. No, you know I know what I mean. Yes, yes. I was saying okay. I have heard of chefs being like, no, you can't cook a steak like that. But it's not okay that he said that. I or was is saying that one chef in L.A. who like wouldn't let anyone have ketchup. (laughs) Oh my God. All you have to do if you're a chef and you're like snobby about ketchup is just like say, of course, and then bring them like, this is the house made sriracha ketchup. And and then- Oh, it's terrible. It's disgusting. And no one will eat ketchup with their food. Right. (laughs) You're not, see, you can get around being like, labeled a pretentious dick by being more of a pretentious dick by being more of a pretentious dick (laughs) and then you give them your DIY ketchup and they'll have an unsatisfying meal and they'll never darken your doorstep again totally there you go totally anyway all I wanted was a fucking breadless egg sandwich and I could not believe I could not believe that Fuck that guy. It was just, it was a weird exercise to go through. And then- It uh, must, it was obviously a man. I mean, sure. They said, I know they said he, I know. Yes, yes. He won't make it like that. He needs to calm the fuck down. It's (laughs) an egg sandwich, (laughs) sir. Really, your integrity as a chef is threatened Buy no bread on an egg sandwich. Okay. Come on. And by the way, again, it was like a place more for drinking than for eating. So. I was like, he's really got to make his mark. No, you don't. No. No, No, you don't. Because now here I am on a podcast making fun of how you wouldn't give me the sandwich without the bread. Listen. Fuck that guy. (laughs) If I wasn't so lazy, I would put a salty Yelp review. But everyone's safe because I'm never gonna I'm never gonna log on to Yelp to put a bad Yelp review. No, who who has the time or the energy <laughs> or the wherewithal to do that? Um. Well, I'm Team Casey on this one. I that is just fucking bullshit. Um, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. So Stevie Nicks. Hungry root. What's for dinner? 
Does that stress you out? Well, listen up. Hungry Root will fill your fridge with healthy food and simple recipes. I mean, I could go on. You could go on. (laughs) I am in that place right now, but that doesn't change the fact that Hungry Root (laughs) is amazing and has really changed my life. It's honestly been so easy to get fresh, high-quality food delivered to my house, especially when I have been working so much. Right. Healthy groceries, simple recipes. I get home late. I'm starving. And I'm like, yeah. ooh, I can just do this thing real fast. Yeah. We all know about meal kits. We've all seen meal kits. Hungry Root is interesting because it's like meal kits, yes, but also other supplemental groceries and snacks that you will need to get you through the week. And I am excited because the recipes are so easy to follow. I just, when I unpack my Hungry Root, I stack all the ingredients for one recipe in the fridge, and then I just stick the little recipe card on top. So anyone can go into the fridge and just be like, oh, I'm going to make this meal for everyone get all the ingredients in one place and then just cook it up and it takes like 10, 15 minutes. I wonder if I can like convince Birdie to start doing that. Maybe I can because Birdie does like to cook. I bet you could. Yeah, I bet you could. Hungry Root. (laughs) You guys, I recommend trying out Hungry Root. Right now, Hungry Root is offering, Busy Phillips is doing her best listeners 30% off your first delivery. And you know what else they offer? Free veggies for life. What? Just go to HungryRoot.com slash busy to get 30% off your first delivery and get free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash busy. Don't forget to use our link so that they know that we sent you. We would like credit, but you really should try it out. HungryRoot.com slash busy. You know, some people say that hair care is the new skin care. I believe it. I do too. And you know what I feel very lucky to have in my life? I know what you're going to say because I feel the same way. I'm holding one up right now. (laughs) This is my little kitsch kitsch scrunchie that I use when I wash my face. I know it's not going to damage my hair. I bleached this hair, guys. It's not, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like sometimes it's not great because... If you have sensitized hair from coloring, then things like heat, adding additional heat on top of it, adding really tight rubber bands, pulling your hair back with rubber bands, you're going to get that breakage. That's not what we want. Not heading into our 40s. No, not not heading into into summer, not heading into just We want luscious locks. Also, you know, if your hair is wet from the pool or the beach and you put it up in like a really tight rubber band, it'll just, it can break your hair. Don't do it. Yeah. And so. It's it's a mess. Kitsch is kitsch to the rescue. Kitsch to the rescue. Satin pillowcases. The satin pillowcase situation from Kitsch has changed Bertie Silverstein's hair. The knots in that kid's hair, (laughs) pre-Kitsch. Pillowcases versus it was how it was Birdie rough. wakes up now. Yeah. It's night and day. 
Well, the good news is that like they're so reasonable that you can get a bunch of pillowcases, which is what I have done. And so I just use them with abandon. You do use them with abandon. And I'm, I love that for you. Um, <laughs> satin, by the way, guys, is vegan and cruelty free. That's just, that's a bonus, I would say. Or maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's everything to you. I don't know. And right. you probably saw at some point the heatless satin curling rollers that went viral on TikTok. I'm still seeing them everywhere. Kitsch is like the original satin heatless curling roller. And they're the best. I'm obsessed with them. Birdie and I bought them over winter break. We both love them. They're, it's so, they're so easy to use. I love it. They also have this rice water shampoo bar that is better for the environment because, you know, we're supposed to like go back to like using bars and stuff. But it's right. also... It could help with overall hair growth and density. Yeah, I like the shampoo bars because they're great for traveling. One less liquid, you know? One less liquid, guys. Anyway, we love Kitsch. And right now, Kitsch is offering you 30% off your entire order at mykitsch.com slash best. That's right. 30% off anything and everything at mykitsch, spelled M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash best. One more time. For the kids in the back. <laughs> it's mykitch.com slash best for 30% off your order. Oh, okay. I just have one story I want to tell you. Yeah, tell it. Because it's insane. Okay. But it also like per perfectly encapsulates why one or both of my children will probably write like an autobiography someday. <laughs> I was, we, last week at Girls 5 Eva was like the hardest week. And we did this, we did these like big, we had this big performances, like these performance days. And it was like crazy what we were doing. And, but you know, I've been working so much and, uh, and my friend, Chrissy was in town and we were like going to New Jersey and Sunday or Monday night, I realized, no, Wednesday night, whatever night it was, I realized, oh my God, I forgot to get a bikini wax and I'm doing, I'm literally wearing like a leotard, like mm. in one of the, like I have to, I have to, I don't know what to, and I remembered that I had like home waxing stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'd come home late from work. I'd hung out with Birdie and watched a video and eaten dinner and then had gone to like shower before bed and then real had the realization. And I don't like shaving because it makes me very itchy. I'm like very sensitive skin. So I'm like, I'm going to have to wax myself right now at like 1230 at night after yeah. being exhausted, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I go downstairs and I'm like, I'll just use the microwave and like heat the shit up. You guys... I am like spread eagle in the middle of the kitchen, waxing my vagina when Birdie bounds downstairs to get a snack and a drink. <laughs> and Birdie was like, are you fucking kidding me? What is happening right now? And I was like, oh my God, Birdie. I <laughs> forgot. <laughs> then I'm like wearing a leotard tomorrow. And so, and she's like, you're not 
waxing your vagina in the middle of our kitchen, mom. And I was like, you know what, bird? It is exactly what I am doing. (laughs) And it's part of my job. And I haven't had time to do it any other way. And I'm sorry. And can I get you a snack? (laughs) And (laughs) she was like, absolutely not. I'll get it myself. And was like, I could tell slightly entertained, perhaps, (laughs) but also just like shaking her head like, well, this is why I'm going to be who I am. Yes. Wow. Can, may I ask, why the kitchen? Because the microwave. But you, it didn't, you didn't feel like the wax would stay hot enough taking it anywhere. You had, it was like, or do you have to- it's like a vertical home. I wasn't in the apartment. Right. So you would have had to take it up. I get it. I get it. <laughs> and there's, yeah. No, I mean, like, it would have been. It was been, your only choice. Honestly, it was my only <laughs> choice. It was my only choice. And it was also just in the middle of the kitchen floor, not like on the counter or something. Listen, you had to do it. I had no choice, Casey. Were you standing? How were you? You were no, laying I was like, on the... No, I was like sitting. You know I'm very... Okay, first of all, guys. Oh, boy. Perfect time for Abdi to join. <laughs> yeah. First of all, you know I'm very flexible. Yes. <laughs> Abdi, we are in the middle of a story in which I told Casey, Yay, writer's Yay, skills! Yay, writer's I'm on. Did you see the picture I posted of Mark picketing today in New York? I was so proud oh, of him. No, I was too busy picketing myself. Where did you get a, did you get assigned this time or are you just I you did get to not go get assigned this time. They told me to show up wherever I wanted to today. So I chose Paramount because that's where I was last time. And there was like this sentimental. Yes, I remember. The Paramount yeah. crew was t- strong. And it was a lot of the same people. And you were so yeah. you were so present on the I was. last time. I was. I came, I mean, daily, basically. I would come I would yeah. come to the picket lines almost every day, I think, with Mark. Yeah. And we it, would go get lunch yeah. on Larchmont. Guys, it was... <laughs> it was definitely emotional going back to that same picket line with the same people, though, because it just, like, put me back into 2007. And I'm like, okay, my knees feel creakier. Right. A lot more tired. Oh, yes. my gosh. But, you know. Birdie wasn't even a thought. She was the strike baby. <laughs> well, I, I remember when there was a there was a chance of strike being part of the name. I wanted if it was a boy, his name would have been Roscoe Strike Silverstein. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God it was I, a girl. Yeah, the universe got scared. <laughs> the universe was not there for the name. Although, you know, my number one. Do you remember the name I really wanted to name Birdie and everybody told me I was insane. Wait, I think I'm I'm sure I do, but it's what was Easter. it? Easter. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. No. Yeah. So Abdi By the way, I wanted to name Rumi our son Jupiter for a while. Partially because, you know Hey Jupiter. Mostly because of Tori Amos. It wasn't even like, yes, science and the planets and all that, but it was mostly because of Hey Jupiter and people thought I people people which is our which is our story about the strike that we have to tell. Yeah. We obviously have to tell it. Okay. 
So but I feel like I interrupted. Do we go into Toriyama's land? I mean, we kind of, it, it, the story was kind of over. Busy what, Busy forgot that she had to wear a leotard at Girls 5 last Eva week. last week. So and I hadn't gotten a bikini wax and it's been the winter time. You know what oh. I mean? But so the night before at like midnight 30, I was like, oh, I got to go downstairs and do it. And I went into the kitchen because I needed to heat the wax up in the microwave. And I was just like spread eagle, like waxing my sides of my labia on the kitchen floor when Birdie like hopped downstairs to get a midnight snack and a drink. And she was just like, why are you so weird? And I was like, Listen, honey, most moms don't have to do this. (laughs) I feel like you guys are like role reversed for most parents and kids because I just picked the kids up from school and our daughter is making some kind of Taylor Swift, look what you made me do music video with her friends. And they dressed her up in the tightest, see-throughiest black dress I've ever seen. No! Put makeup all over her. She does not wear makeup. And I picked her up and I gasped. And then she gets in the back seat and I'm just like, what's happening? And then she said she has to wear that dress to school every day this week for the video. And I'm like, no. Wow. And you want me busy, you know me. I'm a very open-minded parent when it comes when it comes to almost everything. But there are there are limits. There are yeah. boundaries. I you just have found boundaries. your, your it, limit. You found your limit. You found your parental limit. Yeah. Listen, here's the thing. Yes. Sometimes do I think that the fact that I watched so much ab fab growing up and that I am essentially like, is it, it's Edie, is it Edie the mom? Is it Edie Patsy the mom? and Adina. Patsy yeah. And Patsy, Adina. Patsy. Yeah. Wait, so I'm, Patsy's, I'm Adina. You're yeah. Adina. Yes. Yeah, I'm Adina. And then Saffron is Birdie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm probably Bubbles. I'm probably like... Bubbles was the best. Bubbles was the best. Really? For sure. Oh, wait. Okay. So, the WGA strike story. Of so, Abdi and I, you guys have heard me mention Abdi before. Abdi and I have been friends for over 20 years. 20 years? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, it is insane. True. Um, Two decades. Wow. He is Birdie's godfather. He is an author. Um, a writer of screenplays and television. He worked with our friend Simran on a TV show most recently. Most recently? Yeah, that was the last show I worked on. They got made, yeah. Manifest? Ordinary Joe. Ordinary Ordinary Joe. That's right, Right, no. I'm sorry, Simran works on 47 TV shows. It's hard to keep them straight. That is true. It's amazing. She is. So you, by the way, you work on like multiple TV shows too and do a podcast and raise kids and- Well, you have to, well, okay, but also just to the, right, but just to the point of the strike, you have to do multiple things to cobble together. You know, back when I started in Hollywood, guys, (sighs) you know- but it used to be that you would do like a TV show, but right. now there's so many and so much streaming and then the orders are so many less episodes. Yes. So you have well, to yeah, do- Well, yeah, it used to be that if you did a TV show, you could, that was like a full-time job you could live on for a year and you right. you would have a little hiatus built in. The episodes, the episode orders were longer. They kept writers on longer. So writers would go to set. They would 
help with all aspects now. I mean, I just finished a mini room that was six six weeks long. And we wrote a whole season. And it's just wild. You know, it, they've changed the economics of it so that writers are basically gig workers. Right. Cobbled together money. And every writer I know does. I mean, I do multiple things. I do so many different well, things. But what I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about, because, you know, we talk about pivots on the podcast. And I feel like, you know, you really started as a screenwriter. That's yeah. how I know Eben Moss Baccarat, guys. <laughs> oh, has he come up before? I love Eben. No, but I'm just saying Eben's the best oh. from the bear. People That's... love the bear. People are like Isn't obsessed. kind of amazing? Because so I went to college with Eben. We were in the same improv company doing the goofiest shit together all the time. And, and then in Los Angeles in the early 2000s, yes. you would have script readings. That's right. In your apartment. Yeah. Of that's scripts cool. that you were working on. And Eben was one of the actors that would come and I would come and do it. And Lauren, when she was in town, Lauren yeah. Ambrose, who's how Abdi and I know each other. <sighs> My point yes. being, you went from like screenwriter you sort of like really made a pivot in the middle of your career and now you've made another like pivot, pivot. You're pivoting. Yeah. I'm, you I'm, you're I'm the always pivoting. Like second queen of reinvention. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> but like explain what happened with the screenwriting into the novels in the YA world. Well, I mean, so when you first met me, I was just a screenwriter. and And I think like, when we're young, so many of us are much more passive about our careers. Like, I did not ever think I could be a writer. I just loved movies. Like, I was just a kid who didn't fit in, who would go home and, like, watch movies. And then I got a one-way ticket to L.A. And I'm like, I'm going to be an assistant and work my way up the movie industry. But I figured I'd be some kind of executive or some, you know, like a traditional job because that's how I was raised in, like, an Iranian home that was like, you do business or medicine or law, you know? And so uh, long story short, my, you know, as an assistant, you just read script after script. And at a certain point, I'm like, I think I could do this. But in 2007, 2008, there was a strike, which, you know, we will probably talk about many times. And I couldn't write screenplays anymore. And when the strike ended, all the scripts I had, all the projects I had in development, and they were super cool projects. Like I wanted so much oh, it was crazy. stuff. I mean, yeah, we were writing. I used to write with a writing partner. We were writing a movie for Jennifer Lopez, a movie for Natalie Portman, a movie for Gwen Stefani, which, by the way, was like a retelling. Dorian the Gray. Dorian Gray. You remember? <laughs> oh, my God. How do you remember? Because Literally. I remember fucking. You've read my book. I remember everything, Abdi. I'm the same. But I'm the same. I remember everything. I scared. I know. Oh, God. We, yeah. So we were writing the coolest stuff. But the truth is, is. All the shit I wrote that was personal wouldn't get made. Like, I did try to write scripts about Iranian people or gay people or queer people, all of that stuff. And this was, you know, the Hollywood of the late 90s and early 2000s was much better when it came to how artists were paid. It was much worse when it came to diverse storytelling, personal storytelling. So, I mean, I used to get notes from studios that were, that was literally like, cut all the gay characters or Ugh. change, you know, change the Iranian family to white and maybe we can make it. You know, this was just normal, like, behavior. Right. And and so... Oh, Abdi and I tried to sell... Oh, we did. I mean, we tried to sell a story about an Iranian family based on your first book. Yeah. Um, we did not... Through the, through the eyes of a, 
of a white girl. I mean, literally, like that was like how we were like trying to sell it. Right. Which back then was the only way to try and sell something. I, mean, I know. That, and they, and uh, still people were like, it feels niche. Abby's yeah. like, I mean, well, guys. And by the way, like all my books. So, I mean, people can probably start piecing it together. But I started writing novels because I wanted to find a way to tell stories that were more personal. And it just reflective. worked. Reflective. Reflective. I mean, it. you know, the, you hear the same thing all the time in film and TV, which is it takes a lot of money to make a movie or a TV show. And usually you need stars to attract that money. There are no Iranian movie stars because every time they've made a movie about an Iranian, they cast like, you know, Gael Garcia Bernal or Alfred Molina or whoever. Right. They, so it's just not, it doesn't happen for us. And, and with books, you don't have those barriers to entry. And so I just found this other part of my career and self-expression. And yeah. That's amazing. Abdi, I want to compare notes with you a little bit because although our TV writing background is so different, I'm like a comedy variety right. person. But at one point, I also wrote a YA novel and it blew my mind the difference in experience. I wrote on daily television. So all I kept hearing is you're so fast. You're so fast. They'd ask me to like get a chapter and I'd be like, oh, okay. And then like turn it around in a couple days or whatever. And they'd be like, that is too fast. Like you can slow down a little bit, right. which that, but I couldn't wrap my mind around my editor being like, well, here's what I would do, but you do whatever you want. Like I couldn't, I couldn't accept it. Was that a weird thing for you, making that switch to a, a different... Oh, it was the best. I mean, I, I honestly feel like the best life is to be half TV writer, half novelist, because they're, they're opposite. Like TV writing, you're servicing someone else's vision, usually yes. like there to help the showrunners tell the story they want to tell. You're fielding notes from the studio and the network and the actors and their reps. And You're the, trying to make so many people happy when exactly. you work as a television or film writer, to be honest. Right. Yeah. But like, yeah. you're just, yes, you're servicing yeah. so you're many. servicing other people. And so much of that is about putting your ego aside and being a team player. And I love that. Like, it's, you know, that's how I meet people like Simran, like these amazing friends. But with writing a novel, to your point, it's all about servicing the author's vision. Like when my editor gives me notes, it's usually about like, how to tell the story I want to tell and getting it out of me. And I'm like, oh, this is actually, and I actually think the first few novels I wrote weren't as good because I was still writing with half Hollywood brain. Like I was yeah. writing others. And well, my, right. I mean, I would say like that. even Walk-In Closet is like a perfect example, your first book, yeah. which is that like you really did service. It was like, there's a white girl who's like yeah. basically at the center you know what I mean? Well, it was a white female protagonist. And I think that tells you everything you need, you need to know. Because one, I would usually get hired to write white characters. And also, I would usually get hired to write female characters. Because when I was coming up, there were no gay leads. And so as a gay person, as a gay man, like I always identified with women and books and stories. That's who I, that was my point of identification. Most of my friends were and are women. And so it was natural to write those characters. And in the last few books, to get to write, like, lead characters who are Iranian queers? Like, what? That's amazing. Crazy for me. Like, and I get to tell these stories that are so deeply personal. I mean, my next book, it comes out in a week, which is crazy. It's called Only This Beautiful Moment. But it's an intergenerational story about three generations of Iranian men in the same family, two of whom are queer. And I'm like, oh, wait, I get to write 
three, not just one Iranian character who's like a supporting character. I get to write three lead men in the same family and explore the nuances of like Iranian masculinity and our queer history. It's wild that I get to do this. I'm so excited to read it because I, I love an intergenerational story. I don't love intergenerational trauma, but... Well, for a for a book, I have a feeling that this book has has a lot <laughs> yeah, of it quite in a it. little bit. Well, well, I think most immigrants, you know, I, I moved to the United States when I was ten. I left Iran when I was two. Like most immigrants, have stories of intergenerational trauma. But yeah. I think what's so beautiful about writing fiction is that you get to have everything else alongside the trauma. You get to have the joy and the music and the laughter and the love and like it doesn't. I mean, my my novel, Like a Love Story, which is about the AIDS epi- the early days of the AIDS epidemic in New York City and ACT UP and the activism, like a lot of people, I think, expect that book to be a lot sadder and less hopeful than it is. And it is, it does make most people cry, but it's also full of community and activism and music and color. And, you know, there's... Well, that's why it's great, though, by the way, because I think sometimes, like, this is just a note maybe for anyone who aspires to write anything. Like sometimes I think people want to tell this big story about this serious issue. And it that can be like unrelentingly sad, you know? And so I love like a love story because it does have humor and heart. And because when you're living those things, you still have humor and heart. Yeah. It's, it's such a good book. Um, and I want to talk to you about the banning of the book. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Because I think, was that like your first most personal? That was, right? Yeah, for sure. I feel like before that, I had never written anything that was that personal. And I was terrified of writing. And I would never have written it were it not for my editor, who really, I kept pitching her these like commercial Hollywood ideas for my follow-up novel. And she kept rejecting them. And finally, she's like, what's the story you've always wanted to tell? And I had the idea for Like a Love Story as a movie a long time earlier. And I'm like, well, the thing I've always wanted to talk about in in a story is what it felt like to be an immigrant kid moving to New York when the AIDS epidemic was at its worst, knowing I was gay, having no frame of reference for it, and being thrust into this city where, like, all... Where you're confronted. Yeah. You're confronted with it and coming from a culture where there was no word for it, literally no word for it when I was growing up, no ability to discuss it. And so, and my, and I didn't have a plot or anything. I don't plot out my books. I just go to a hotel and start writing. Okay. That's my favorite thing ever. That's my, (laughs) it is my favorite part of your process. Abdi, Abdi books himself at a great hotel. He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to Palm Springs for the weekend. I need to write a book. <laughs> I, do, I do. It's crazy. But um, but it's so powerful because I, you know, I've been told my whole life, like, you know, busy. I mean, we've been friends so long. Like, I don't come from a family or a culture where this stuff is discussed. Remember when your family friends were trying to insinuate that you and I were secretly fucking? <laughs> Was that this skin to skin? Yes. Uh, skin <laughs> to skin. Oh my God. It's so, but you know, it's crazy because I still like, I still inhabit these spaces where like I go home to be with my family or I go into Iranian homes and cultures and there are different rules. And I am so vocal in my life. I write these books that are so gay and so queer and I'm going to talk to you and on podcasts, but then I have to like 
modulate my behavior. And it's, I think in a weird way, that's been such a gift when I'm talking to like, I go speak at schools a lot, talking to young people. Like, I feel like I know how to kind of like navigate different worlds where the rules are different. But to get back to the book banning, you know, I'm very much of a like, we need to be like bridge builders. We need to build empathy. Totally. I think that's like our job as artists yes. is build empathy. And I'm like a very spiritual person. I'm not somebody who wants to divide people. But the book banning, it's really hard when people are attacking you and trying to, they're not even willing to have a conversation because they quite literally want to ban you from existence. Then you have to think about, well, how do I deal with that? And that's what's been going on for me. And it's really, it's a strange thing to be thrust into. Well, I mean, it's horrible wild. and wild. Can I ask a little bit, like, how did it start? Like, how did you even become aware that there was even talk of banning your book in some places? Um, I mean, originally, it's, look, a lot of books are being banned. So I'm not, I am so not alone. I was just at this um, book festival and there was a whole panel on banned books and there were quite a few of us there, all yeah. of whom have been banned. So there's a wave of it. I knew my book was on list to be banned. And most banning happens in a very local way. And I think it's really inspired, actually, it's inspired me to get more involved in local politics and busy. I know local you, politics is where it's at. We talk about it on this well, podcast, we you shout, guys. We should shout out. We should shout out Melissa and the Giving Circles and the States Project because I just went to this amazing event and I know you have a Giving Circle, but yes, yes. you know, so much of what's happening when it comes to like queer legislation and anti-choice legislation and so much of the stuff we care about is happening on a local level. And we have a lot of power to change it. But so what happens is these books get challenged in school districts, usually by parents. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think it's a, I think it's worth just sidebarring for one minute to say that when people read about parents' rights, it usually is a very slim minority of parents that doesn't include queer parents like me. Like I'm a gay parent. They're always like, well, parents, you know, Ron DeSantis loves to say like parents yeah. want that. Pa parents like, really? who? Your parents of color want that? Your Which parents ones? Of color, my Angelou banned from their kids' school curriculum? Right. Right. I don't think so. Um, like, so so it starts that way. And I knew that that was happening with Like a Love Story because Like a Love Story is taught in quite a few schools now, which is amazing, by the way. Like, how incredible that, like, this book about ACT UP and queer history and it is being taught. But, you know, I think it upsets a lot of people. And so... It, at a certain point, I think last month, people just started to get more get more vocal. And I don't really know why that is, but I would go on social media and I would just see these things calling me out directly and then, you know, saying that I'm a pedophile, or I'm a groomer, a pornographer, or I'm, you know, and then sometimes someone kind of high profile would say something, you know, someone from Fox News or someone with a a little bit of a following and then their followers suddenly get on the bandwagon and then I'm getting death threats and people are, you know, sending you these really horrific things. And I think to them, they really think that discussing anything queer with young people, with teenagers, is grooming or pedophilia. I mean, that's right. their definition of it. Like, right. and... It, it's just for me, like, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to just ignore this. Like, I I spent way too long in the closet. My whole books, all they're all about, like, overcoming shame and overcoming stigma and, like, what message do I send? 
if I like tower away, because there are, you know, I work with a lot of educators. Many of them are really scared. A lot of like the authors get most of the attention. The educators are getting most of the threats. Like they're on the front lines. Right. They could lose their jobs. They could lose their jobs. They could go they, to jail, and, some of them. And they're the ones dealing with the parents. I mean, I went to speak at a bunch of schools in Syracuse recently, um, and it was amazing. Like, I had the most beautiful interactions with students, and afterwards there were parental complaints based on nothing who I am. I mean, they didn't know anything, and they were asking for transcripts of everything discussed, and the librarians were defending me. I didn't. I just came home to Los Angeles, and kept living my life. So I think there's there's not enough focus on those educators who are really bravely battling all of this. Um, right. Crazy. I mean, I didn't even share this one because it was so truly absurd, Busy, but there was an article recently from Maine about a teacher who sexually abused a student. And in oh the article, and I got, now I have a Google alert on myself, which I hate, but I feel yeah. like it's awful stuff that I do it. And in the article, they implied that the reason that teacher was able to sexually assault the student was because of like a love story and other books available in the library because they make students susceptible to abuse, which is so insane. What? My last book, um, The Chandler Legacy, <sighs> about my time in boarding school, is all about five students who take on the school's culture of abuse because we were all abused in boarding school. And like, I'm like, wait, so you think these books that are about empowering young people to stand up for their rights are making them it just makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. And it's, it. I mean, as soon as you try to like start to poke any holes in it, it's clear that there's no standing. It's just people who have an but agenda. Like, right. It's the, I mean, the whole fucking thing, right? Like the hypocrisy should be shocking, but it's just like, it is what it is. That's who they are. You just all, so can I say, so I picked up the kids a little early and- I had to eat because I was on the picket line all, all day. So I didn't have time for lunch. And I'm like, I have like 10 minutes before logging on to talk to you guys. And so I just sometimes I do this to torture myself. But if I have 10 minutes, I turn on the news to see what they're saying. And I think all TV news is pretty much corrupt. I'm not like blaming one or the other, but CNN had commercials. So I went to Fox News to be like, what is Fox News playing? It was like an anti-trans thing about trans people in sports. And they had this woman on. And the entire conversation on Fox News was about how other queer people, and they referred to them as LGB people, agree with them about this issue, but they're too scared to say anything. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a gay man. I completely support the trans community. I think this is ludicrous. You don't even know the science. Like, there's a lot of like, there's a great science podcast called Science Versus that did a whole episode about trans people in sports. It's like, you have no facts. And now you're trying to say that the gay community is too scared to speak. It's like, no, we're, we're actually here speaking out in support of trans people. Like, fuck you. I don't, it's just like, they just say whatever they want. And it's all cherry picked, right? Because no, right. no group is a monolith. So if you heard like one person saying like, oh, I don't know about that. Then next thing you know, right. oh, gay people are scared to say this because like, I know. It's like when J.K. Rowling's always like, well, my gay friend. It's like, who are your gay friends, J.K. Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> she has one gay friend, Dumbledore. He's not real. He's <laughs> he's a made-up character in her mind. <laughs> Wait, is he gay? I think so. That's didn't what she said, she, Didn't right? she announce he was gay one time? <laughs> like, out of nowhere. <laughs> That's her gay friend. And That's amazing. You and know, he's do you, dead. I um, I mean, I did read the Harry Potter books 
the minute they came out, they were very big for for me and one of my sure. cousins. Sure. And now I use them because I have horrible um, sinus issues and acid reflux, and we have to we have to tilt the bed. We literally they're so big. And they're the so Harry Potter books, they're so literally the Harry Potter books are our they they go under. <laughs> Abdi, one time I did a story on like some, I was working on some like pop culture show and we took the latest Harry Potter book to like a children's orthopedist to like weigh it and see if it was too heavy for kids to be allowed to carry in their backpack. And it probably was, was it? (laughs) Yeah, I just remember us being like, it's a real kid crusher. (laughs) No, that's (laughs) insane. Uh, Anyway, JK. JK, JK is not JKing about all the ridiculous things that she's been saying lately. No, she's the worst. <sighs> Milio, guys, it's all about photos. Photos this week. Keeping those memories. 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 Yes. memories. Like the corners of my mind. I have to say, keeping my photos organized has been the bane of my existence. And then, and then, I was introduced to my Leo photos. Well, finally, some technology has caught up to, like, our technological ability to take photos. This Milio's here to help us keep them organized. It's the next gen of photo storage. It's a smart and powerful system for managing a lifetime of your memories. With the Milio Photos app, years of photos, videos, important documents across all devices. All devices are cataloged in one shared library. You heard that correctly. Everyone in our family has access. There's no cloud storage required. The files remain private and safe. And you can search by practically anything, date, person, location, keyword. I am obsessed with this because you know Mark Silverstein has a billion photos. My kid takes a billion photos. My other kid takes lots of videos. I am always wanting those pictures. (laughs) And this is like the easiest way that we can all access all of the photos. Plus you can remove duplicates. There's less clutter. I'm not worried about losing things privacy issues, data corruption that comes with cloud storage. I'm obsessed with this. The guy that like invented Milio, I did a whole call with him early on in the like development of Milio. He was showing me even if you upload old family photos that you just have that you're not really sure who's in the photos, it can help you figure that out based on your other photos. Stop it. I'm obsessed. That's amazing. Guys, I know you're going to love Mileo Photos as well. And right now we have a special limited time offer for our listeners. Get 25% off your first year of Mileo Photos when you sign up for an annual plan. To get the offer, go to our special URL, mileo.com slash best. That's M-Y-L-I-O dot com slash best. Get 20 off your first year at mileo.com slash best today. Faria, Faria, Faria. You guys, was there ever 
a more awkward situation than me doing the ad for Foria while I was being driven to work and Andrew having to listen <laughs> to me talk about it. I was a little bit like, is HR, am I going to get a call from HR? <laughs> I was trying to keep it, I was trying to keep it cool. I was trying to stick yeah, to the script. I mean, but the truth is. Out of respect is, for Andrew. Out of respect yeah. for Andrew and his fiance and everybody involved and myself, <laughs> you know. But the truth is like, there's no shame in the good sex game. No. And Foria makes products that help women and people with vulvas really fully experience sexual pleasure with heightened orgasms, more sexual comfort, more lubrication that is like made for us. And they have this arousal oil that uses CBD and like warming, sensation-inducing organic botanicals that enhance arousal and sensitivity and pleasure and access to orgasm and help with any discomfort. And best of all, it's just like very, it turns you on. It just turns you on. Um, Which we all need because like as we're getting older or even if you're not older, you're stressed, you're working hard. Like we've been talking about a lot. Sometimes like your mind and your heart are ready to have sex and your vulva and vagina are not. Yeah, your and vulva you, and vagina wanna, are still at work. Yeah, so you want to help <laughs> it catch up in the time that you have. Listen, this is, we gotta, we, we don't have that much time, guys. We gotta make the most of it. I think it's a game changer. So you have our permission to try this. In fact, it's more than our permission. Like you got, you must. I actually am gonna say you must. We yeah. endorse, go ahead. Treat yourself to more, deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. Orgasms, great orgasms can really change your mood, guys. <laughs> the real game a real changer. real game changer. And you can start with a bottle of Foria for yourself. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash best or use code best at the checkout. That's Foria, F-O-R-I-A, Wellness dot com forward slash best for 20% off your first order. We recommend trying their Awaken Arousal Oil and the Sex Oil. You're going to thank us, guys. You're going to thank us. Tag us in those posts. Okay, so you have this new book coming out. I'm so excited to read it because it has that, that I love that three-generational story. It's like one of my favorite forms of storytelling. Do you feel like you have ground to make up because all this bullshit's been going on? Or besides being scary and like being scared for your family and yourself? I I have to say like dirt and I'm like probably one of your only friends that can really relate to this, you know, and we talked a bit about it. I was like the first death, the first death threat that comes to your house is the worst. That's the one that you feel like you've been punched in the stomach. Then subsequently, they get easier. And like the fact that I even have that knowledge, like is so fucked for just, and it's especially heinous because like these Fox News reporters or right-wing like influencers or whatever 
are able to like just turn this like hate machine toward whatever thing they want to point it at in that moment. And they have to keep changing what thing they're going to point it at. So if it gets pointed at you, then you get like this huge influx. Well, and it's also hard because I think what I was going through was was in the beginning, you can't help but be a little bit reactionary because you're not used to it. And it's a personal... And I try very hard as I've gotten older and more sure of who I am and what I stand for of like staying in a place of peacefulness and and oneness and forgiveness. And I don't compassion. what I yeah, and compassion. And what I've come to realize is I have to work really hard. And yes, sometimes I'll snap back and I'll try sometimes I definitely try and use humor to deal with it now. But like I don't want to let these people rob me of my value are about like human beings are generally good. Yes. You have to be able to reach people. So, I mean, I try as hard, you know, sometimes these, you know, my agents who book me to speak at schools are like, oh, a lot of authors don't want to go to red states because they're scared. I'm like, no, 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 throw me. Like, I grew up in a culture where I couldn't say anything about who I am and speak freely. Like, send me to those kids because they get, like, where I came from and I can speak to them from a place of experience about what it feels like to be truly invisible. And I don't know, but you know, you did reference that day. I just want to say, because really like everyone is here on this podcast, probably because of you busy, like that day in New York, I was in New York when this was at its worst, when I was getting like the worst of the threats. And it was hard because in New York, I stay with my family who I love, but who don't have the ability to talk about these issues the way that I need to. And I just had this day with busy and it was so... Like, I'm going to get emotional, but it was so beautiful. And, you know, just like feeling the support of a friend, but also you have been, you know, way more than me. I mean, who am I? I just like write some books, but like what you've done, I mean, in terms of, but you have, I mean, you went to speak to, I know that people, I know you get like the volume of what you get is so different. And it's just like the fact that you even have the ability to like show up for friends given everything you do. It's, it was really important. Was it turning? Of course. I love you. I love you too. But <laughs> how would I not know that? Like, that, is so- know that, that you're that person and that you do like in the midst of shooting multiple things and changing the world, you're like, Oh, my friend is going through shit and I'm going to spend an entire day walking around New York city with him, like getting him to the other side of this. I love you so much and I miss you so much. I love you too. And I, it's like the joy of my life is being your friend. Are you kidding? I'm so lucky. I'm only friends with geniuses. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. uh, It is true. But it's also because you're a good friend. And so you like, it's, I mean, when you left LA, something changed. Because I think we're the same in this way of like, were generous with people. Like you were like a bringer together of people. Bring people together. You attract good people and then you make sure that they all know each other and that they like have the sense of community. Like people are so isolated these days. And like- Malcolm Gladwell calls it a connector. We're a connector. (laughs) We're a connector. We're a connector. Oh God, Abdi- that was my one of my favorite days in New York, which is also, I guess, to say that I really miss LA because <laughs> I would like to be there connecting people. But it's been a weird time and I miss you. Um, and I fucking like, it's so wild. Like, like a love story, even though Birdie won't read it because Birdie that is, 
It's the weirdest thing. I think Birdie will read it. I feel like Birdie's going to read it next year in boarding school. Bill? Yeah, I think so. I, I have to say, though, when Birdie reads it, it'll feel like the end of something special. I agree. I you agree. know, because there's something so special about every time I see Birdie. Like Birdie being like, look, yeah. No. <laughs> And I never will. Even though Bernie did an entire huge semester ending report on ACT UP. You've did got I even it. tell you that? Say, no, you didn't tell me that. Ah! <laughs> Abdi, Come this, on. Was, this was the part, this was the point where I was like, Bernie, you have to read Abdi's book. And Bernie was like, this is about facts, not fiction. And I was like, it's... <laughs> <laughs> You've got to write. You guys, Birdie's stubbornness in not reading Abdi's books is a real chef's kiss. Birdie also, I want you to know, refuses to watch any television program I'm on or Michelle is in or uh, Lizzie Kaplan. She won't watch anything that we're on. Well, Abdi, you're Birdie's godfather. I say every godfather gift from now on is just a copy of that book. (laughs) Yeah, every time. Just maybe like, she's oh, waiting. I, I, by the way, maybe I she's waiting for a signed copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it cracks me up. I just think the bird, like, Birdie has such an amazing, like, sense of self. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. just love, like, the humor. I just think there's so much humor in it that every time yeah. I... Of course. Like, no. But I also love that, like, I remember the first time you told me Birdie wouldn't read the book. And at that point, Birdie was so obsessed with Little Women. Remember the movie? Yes, of course. And I was like, oh, wait, Birdie, you're obsessed with Little Women? Like, I just was an associate producer on Call Me By Your Name with Timothy Chalamet. And, like, Birdie immediately was so unimpressed. It was... <laughs> like, like, I'm trying is, to find a way. But she loves Call Me By Your Name. She it, loved it until. Oh, well, that's good because a lot of young people don't. Interesting. There's a consent thing and there's an she, age thing. Yeah, she doesn't like. You're right. She doesn't like it. You're right. Oh my god, you're right. She doesn't like it. She likes Timothy Chalamet, but she doesn't like it. <laughs> there, you go. very. Oh but without coming, you know, the Chalamet ever would have become Chalamet. That was meanwhile it's true. You know that I like sat in the theater of Call Me by Your Name and sobbed for eight minutes after it was over. It was, yeah, well, the last shot of... T. Chalamet. Yeah, I know. Gorgeous. It is. <laughs> but but yes, Bert, Bert will not read like a story. She just texted <laughs> me. You guys, her ears are burning. I'm not kidding you. She literally just texted me. I'm terrified. Do we get the bird on? Has bird been on? Just like oh a, a couple drive-bys. Like, she thinks that I'm still at work because she's like very, very attached. She also right hates the podcast, Abby, so, so you don't feel. No, she's yeah. never going to do it. Um, <laughs> but but Bert doesn't just, hate my book. <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't. She just She just is like a ver, like averse. Yeah. Wait, she just texted me. So I said, I didn't tell her that I was wrapped early and I was coming to finish the podcast. And um, so she had texted me earlier and I was like, oh, because she hates the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, oh, tonight and tomorrow night are going to be long nights because I'm working. You know, we're finishing the show. Sorry, guys. It's a white light. I'm sorry, Birdie. Whatever. Um, and, and I was like, but probably like 930 your time. Our time. 930 my time. Yeah. She just texted just now. Do you have a better estimate? 
Oh, wow. Wow. It's 9.09, guys. It's 9.09. Do you have a better estimate? What's the That is... I mean, come on. You got to love the bird. The bird (laughs) is a unique being. (laughs) My kids are are amazing, too. I told them, like, I was like, I'm going to record this podcast with Busy. So just, like, hang out. Be quiet. Two minutes before, they are jumping in the room above me. (laughs) The whole house sounds like it's shaking. Of course. Guys. (laughs) What part of, like... One part of the be quiet for a little bit is like doing squat jumps in the room. <laughs> they just, they gotta, they gotta be themselves. They have to exert <laughs> their own. It gets own-ness. better. It gets better. I know. Well, I hope so. Oh, okay, well, I hope, well, I can't get better. I love it. My kids are, I don't know. I mean, we have so much fun. My kids are the best. They're literally like, <laughs> I was in a writer's room once where people were complaining about their kids. And one of them was like, Abby, you're allowed to complain about your kids. And I'm like, no. Awesome. I take them everywhere with me. We do. And they're so fun. They're so smart. They're so themselves. I think Abdi really does enjoy his children so much. That's so good. I think that's the key. People have often asked me, like, what's your parenting secret? Like, I don't know why, but they really have. But I always say, I think everybody loves their kids. But I think that the people that do the best are people who really like their kids as well. Oh, I agree. I agree. They like your kids. Yeah. That's what gets me so upset. I mean, to go back to this stuff, like, I get so upset. The, 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 the attacks, like, about the book manual that upset me the most because I'm like, I get, like, I get my kids and I get their friends and I get their generation and, like, I love them. And, like, these parents don't love their kids. <laughs> like, no, they don't. These parents are not doing right by their kids. They're not. Or what's in their best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you think about it, like you're like, this always makes me very sad when I'm like, if this kid wasn't this parent's kid, if it was just a person they were meeting on the street, would they talk to them? Would they have any type of rapport with them? No. Then that's very sad to me. But there are so many family relationships that I feel like are like that. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that you're family, there would be no relationship. And so the fact that, like, people are neglecting to build those important bridges with their kids or other family members is really hard and and sad for me. Yeah. It's hard and to I watch. Mean, guys, listen, waxing your vagina in the middle of the kitchen is one way to build to a be little, sure. Build a little bridge. It's just, it's a little, some... Some say it's a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, here's what I said to her. For real. I was like, honestly, Birdie, no one's ever going to say you had a boring fucking life. (laughs) You get to meet Olivia Rodrigo. You got to come down at 1245 in the morning and see your mom waxing her vag. You want to go to boarding school in Sweden? Someday when the bird becomes like... The next Carrie Fisher, there will be a postcards from the Edge movie about you, and that's going to be the twirled up scene. It's going to be wow, honey. I wrote it for her. I'm asking her to write it. It is the honor of my life being the fucking insane parent of Birdie Silverstein, genius Birdie fucking Silverstein. That will be the joy of my life. And also, if Birdie just wants to, like, live a regular life and not do that, that's fine, too. I would love that, too. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. I always said that, um, to me, Birdie is, like, going to be Amal Clooney. 
Oh, interesting. Like Bertie will be like some like badass international human rights attorney slash policymaker person that speaks multiple languages, et cetera, who then just like marries a movie star. <laughs> you know? That's hmm. That's really interesting. We'll have to go back to this in, yeah. in many, many years to this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if it's a female movie star or a male movie star. I don't know what, I don't, or if that gendered, if it's, it's a gender yeah. movie star. Yeah. We, I don't even know if they're getting married. Maybe they're just, maybe it's a, I mean, a by bloodletting ceremony. By the time we don't know. Birdie's getting ready to get married. I feel like there may not be a single movie star left because they're dying breed movie stars. You are not joking. But that's also that part of what it. part of what your new book is about. Well, kind well, yeah, actually the 90s, it's funny. So the my new book takes place in the 1930s, the 1970s, and the present day in both Los Angeles and Tehran. And in each story, the main character is either going from LA to Tehran or from Tehran to LA. And it begins in the 1930s in Hollywood because I grew up completely obsessed with old Hollywood, like 10 years old. Before I had any idea what like a gay icon was or what being gay was, I would come home from school, shut my door, and watch like old Rita Hayworth and Joan Crawford and Judy Garland movies. Obviously. Like, amazing. What? I mean, I was such a nut. But, but so I start. Yeah, the story starts there. It starts in in old Hollywood, and a lot of it is about like that kind of myth making machine that I grew up so obsessed with. And then it's about like pulling that fantasy away to see what the real shit it's hiding is and then it leads it starts from there but yeah i'm upset look i'm obsessed with hollywood even after two decades of working in this absurd industry i remain absurd absurd. (laughs) but i love it i love it you guys i I remain a fan i mean jonathan my husband has a much more glamorous life than me by the way like i'm a writer who likes dancing sweatpants and he like does all this like business stuff and brand stuff but he takes me to the fancy parties i'm like a good plus (laughs) one We went to this Chanel Oscar party recently. You go to this stuff all the time. But like, I was just like a two-year-old. Like Nicole Kidman walks in decked in Chanel and Anne Hathaway and Michael B. Jordan. You're just like, these people are so beautiful and so big and they light up the room. And I just love, like, I love it. I love fantasy and I love stories. And I love, like, I think entertainment has a place, you know? Yeah, we got to figure it out. We got to figure it out. Before we kill it. You got to pay a right to make it. Yeah, well, That's we are killing I mean, a lot of things are killing it in yeah. terms of Hollywood. I mean, certainly in the movies, that's like a complicated thing that's tied to like technology and, and corporatism and corporatism. Yeah, the fact that every company is now owned by some giant conglomerate. Conglomerate. There's no like, yeah. And I was thinking about that with the strike. Like, there's no, I would never, like, in the, even when I started, you know, when we first met, like, it wouldn't be so crazy that you would meet, like, the head of the studio at some point in working for a studio. But now... Right, right. That's true. Thinks, That's actually very true. We don't mean anything to these people anymore. We're just data. Like, they don't even come and see us. They're all just, like, people in some other city who are overseeing these giant corporations and... They care about their profits and not about the people who work for them. And that's oh a God. I remember meeting the new president of a network at a party and trying to like talk to this person like in a way that I have previously talked to presidents of networks and studios before. Right. And they were literally like, 
I'm from tech. <laughs> oh. God. I'm okay. from Silicon Valley. I just moved to LA. And it was like, they had no interest, no, yeah. no desire to understand per, like what we're doing, why we were even at this party. Like it was fucking wild. Yeah. You have to bleep this, but it was the woman that was like the head of She's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm from Silicon Valley. <laughs> but, but, that's, but that's really real. And I do think it's worth saying, since this is day one of the writer's strike that we're recording this on, like that's happening in every industry and in every country. And I think sometimes the mistake we make when we talk about this stuff is making it seem like some rarefied entertainment industry right. problem. Nobody can relate because they're like, oh, you Hollywood people are complaining. But we have to like draw these lines because it's happening everywhere. Like people are being dehumanized and they're being turned into data and their work doesn't have value anymore. They're not getting like benefits anymore. Right, Everybody's right. Obbling together a life. And the people in charge who are all giving themselves these crazy bonuses and living on like yachts and in bunkers, like don't even make eye contact with the people who work for them anymore. There's right. no humanity. And you have to get back to that somehow. It, like, weirdly, Abdi has been reminding me of the way that people talk about health insurance. Like that there are corporate entities being like that person that, I've never examined and I'm not a doctor doesn't need that life-saving surgery. So or drug or, or drug. drug or whatever and just being like tell tell them no, sending someone in the middle to say tell them no. And it's sort of like in this it's not a perfect analogy but in this case like Patients, it's not an imperfect analogy either. <laughs> patients are the writers in this case, and yeah. the studios but, are the insurance companies. But, but I think right. in a, but in a lot of ways, it's a very perfect analogy too, because when you think about health insurance and how much good health insurance in this country is tied to employment, you know, more and more employers aren't hiring anyone full-time anymore. Even in industries where people are working full-time, they're being hired as freelance workers. Right. And they're denied, and that's a way to deny people health and benefits like and I feel like we've all been like gaslit into believing that that's like giving us freedom like now we have like the freedom to, yes you know go from job to job without being tied but it's like no 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 that you're just doing that to get out of paying people fair wages yeah and so that when someone does get sick they are able to still be, paid, be taken care of instead of like oh, now I'm sick and I have no job, no paycheck, no insurance. I mean, we don't take care. We really don't take care of our people. And it's just. No. no. Oh, my God. Even if, you know, Casey's going through a really difficult time since her mom passed away, dealing with like end of life stuff and like how that all works, that where yeah. it's just not easy and it's really costly and I've been dealing with, you know, Mark's family and his parents getting older and like what the what the availability is for senior care and what right. kind of care is available if you have insurance, but even if you like have great insurance. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, what, if we're not going to take care, so hard. if we're not going to take care of little kids in school and make sure that they're fed and safe and have and not shot and have books and not shot, I, it, 
we can't be shocked that we're not going to take care of senior citizens who are at the, you know, I mean, little kids and senior citizens aren't productive. They're not working age. Yes, I agree. And I think you're right. Like, but we also have to, I mean, I don't know. We just have to, however we can, whether it's through conversations like this or writing books or telling, making good work or just connecting one-on-one with people in our lives. Like we have to start talking about the problems. And I think the weirdest thing, and I think this is like corporations, again, have light gas lit us into thinking this and a lot of it is social media. But I've noticed that like with every major issue, people like to scream at other individuals. And I'm like, that one person is not going to like solve climate change or gun control or this or that. These problems are systemic. These problems are built into our system. And like screaming at one person on social media or one person at like in your community is not making a difference. And it's like we've been tricked into believing that like the problem is like that person over there when really the problem like corporations have gained way too much power. They have become complete monopoly. I mean, it really, when you think about it, like we're allowing like monopolies to thrive and they're, they're destroying everything from fair wages to the climate to human rights. And they get away with it because they're allowed to donate as much as they want to governments around the world. And it's like, let's start talking about secret, weird, small organizations like that find all, <laughs> yes these like but yeah these, I'm talking about that like these pack article yeah that packs. just came out oh, yes, like those like pack. yeah yeah or um Supreme Court justices even exactly. I guess yeah. apparently yeah. can send them on some nice vacations buy their parents homes for them whatever they need right it's yeah. it's wild it's frustrating but. I do want to get back to your new book because I know Abdi's not going to say this because he just wants to talk about storytelling and everything. But I want to tell you that you guys pre-ordering Abdi's book in the week before it comes out is super important. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. It's super important to an author. gigantic. To make those sales. So if you're in the market for a new book... If you wanted to order it now, and then you'll have like a nice treat waiting for you next week when it comes in the mail, that would be so great. And even though when it comes in, and it might come in the mail next week and you're like, but I am not going to be able to read this until um, the second week of June when we go on our family vacation after the kids get out of school. That's fine. But he gets credit for it now. Yeah. Which is a better deal for him. And you already have your book lined up. Yeah. Buy it now. Hold on to it. And it's... I haven't read Abdi's, it yet. Abdi's too much of a gentleman <laughs> to, to to talk about but we're this just, stuff. But. We're just telling you that this is the way that <laughs> we, this is the way that we topple the corporations. <laughs> it's one of the ways. I guys, really, it's one of the ways. I really appreciate it. Well, you know, honestly, I am deeply proud of this book. It's my favorite. I mean, I love Like a Love Story a lot because it, is very like a per- love story is also, you should also order that book. That book is... Buy them both. Buy them both. <laughs> that book um, is so good. But this book, Only This Beautiful Moment, I it really means the most to me because it feels like the most, like a book that really very few other people could have told. There are not a lot of out and proud queer Iranians out there. It's still no. part in the community. I did so much research. I spoke to family that's lived in Iran both in the 70s and today. Nobody knows what life in Tehran is like. Nobody cares. Like, 
we got like two days of attention for this new women-led movement happening in Iran, and then everyone forgot again. And like, I turned, it's funny, I turned in the last copy edit of this novel the day that those protests started, the new wave of protests started in Iran, and they're still going. We don't get the attention anymore, but they're still going. But the, the final scene of this novel takes place during the 2019 protests in Iran when the government shut down the internet. And then I turned it in and they shut down the internet again. And I'm like, this is the thing. We need to understand our history so that we can then make real change because we're coming from a place of knowledge. And nobody knows a lot of the novel is about how this family's journey has been impacted by the collision of Western and Eastern history. And so much that this country doesn't teach about, like, Nobody knows that the United States toppled a democratically elected government in Iran in the 50s, which led to all the chain of events that led to the monarchy being put in the revolution, families like mine having to flee. I mean, it's, we need to understand it. So yes, I mean, I'm bad at like telling you guys to pre-order my book, although please pre-order my book. But what I'm good at is telling you why the book matters and what it means to me and that I genuinely would not be doing this work because I make a lot more money writing television. <laughs> I would not be doing this work if I didn't think it was making the world the world yeah. a better. So pre-order this book, buy like a love story. And you know what? A lot of you are aunties. Maybe you have like nieces and nephews who live in some red states. Maybe they have uh, birthdays coming up. And so get them that book and send it to them in case it's banned at their school and they're not allowed to take it out of the school library. Or um, yeah, just buy a bunch of copies to hand out when you travel to red states. And Oh, I was just going to say, I've spoken to many librarians because I go speak at schools, and a lot of librarians tell me that they dip into their own pockets to buy books for teens who need them. So they can't get queer books or books about characters of color or, you know, marginalized people approved in the school budget. And these librarians who are not making that much money because we don't value educational work in this country are paying for these books themselves. So donating books to libraries is something we should all be doing regardless. Yeah. Okay. And now finally, before we let you go, and I have to go because I'm getting harassed via text message by the bird. Um, we have to explain the Tori Amos story. Yes, please tell me. Because we never finished the strike story. So the strike was happening. I was pregnant with Birdie. It was January 2008, right? Yes. Although I do think it's important to say that the way that Busy and I met was through our mutual friend, Lauren, that Busy was shooting a pilot with, who's one of my- Lauren Ambrose, the genius actress. Truly a genius, currently on Yellow Jackets, which I'm loving. Um, But we met, I remember it was at the coffee house on Sunset Boulevard or something. Mm -hmm. We realized that we were both obsessed with Tori Amos. Tori Amos. And talked about having a tea day where all we did was like Tori trivia and playing Tori. And that's how we like- and listening to Tori music. And our whole life has been tea day since. But okay, so so Tori was our first point of connection. And then yes. for the 2000, December 2007. Fast forward, we're very close friends now at this point. We go through your, <laughs> it was your American Express card. It, was it? I didn't yes. remember. I remember, I remember, the, you know, I remember everything. And we got to do this like meet and greet with Tori and before the show, it was before the show. And I was like, also like she and I had like weirdly similar hair. Do you remember yeah. that? 
You yeah, always so we've, met, we've met Tori together since then, and you and Tori's hair always matches. Always, our hair is always in a similar style. It's very strange. We are simpatico. You're on the, the same hair. same wavelength. We're on the same wavelength. Oh my god! Remember though, the last the show at the Ace Hotel when we both were too high. Oh my! Well, yeah, when we thought Tori was like leaving off the stage to like. Yeah! We literally. Like, we just, wait, what was she saying? I didn't. It was early days Instagram. of. It was either a little. Oh. It was early days of like the medis- like of the weed shops popping up in LA, like where it was like totally legal, I think. Yes. No, maybe it was just medicinally legal, but it was like good weed shops. And we ate way too many gummies and we both had like a full mind melt in We were the show. in the front row. It was insane. And Tori came out and she, it was either a little man or a little earthquake. It was one of the little songs. And like Busy and I turned to each other and just grabbed each other. And I was like, oh, like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but we've well, also, we've seen Tori Amos in England together. We've like done oh, the Tori. We've, I mean, Tori, look, the Tori fans out the case. Are you a Tori person? Or? Yes, I love Tori. Yeah. You're not. Okay. The greatest. The, the Tori fans get it. It's, it's. It's a deep, deep. When when someone says they love Tori Amos, I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. I get you. We're yes, but so anyway, in this particular time, it was the writer strike had been going on long enough that I was definitely pregnant with Birdie, and we were going to meet her before her show, and we were like, what are we going to do? And you and I had been on the picket lines together. Yeah. You were there every day. I was there most days. Um. And you were like, you know, I think we should give her a gift. We well, should give oh, her. Oh, see, see, our memories differ. What? So my memory is we're going to meet Tori, and it's not a big group of people, but there's like maybe Small. six, like four to six other people. Yes, and other people had gifts. And everybody else yes, had that's right. elaborate gifts, like yes. round gifts, flower yes, correct. And correct. Biggie and I turned to each other and we're like, oh, we have nothing. Fuck. We're the assholes we have nothing. And at one point, and I remember it was you or me, we look at our strike Because we were both wearing we're both, them. We're both wearing WJ's strike it pins. It was you. It was you. It was me. Okay, so I'm like, we're going to give her our strike pins. And the thing is, I think not long before, I don't know when she published it, but she published a book that's really great. And in the book, she talks a lot about the way that Tori really fought the record companies. I mean, let's just, Tori's a fucking badass. She was, she was. Incredible. The girl in starting Rain, the rape and abuse incest. Yes, right. Which is still the. Like organization, yeah, it's like one of it's one of the top in the country, number one. She talked about she talked about sexual abuse before anyone. I'm sorry, wait, excuse me, guys. Let's take a beat. My friend Tori Amos had an a, acapella song about her own rape on a major label album. Yeah, that's. Can you imagine fucking like? Lizzie McAlpine being like Warner Brothers record. Here's my acoustic song about, I mean, and it's insane. You can't imagine no, anyone else doing anything. No, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. it's like literally She's, bonkers. She's revolutionary. Right, okay. She is a revolutionary. And, and, we, yeah. and then we so, did realize we were assholes for not bringing like a, a gift, gift for this person. It's like so important. But, so but so we we decide like we're gonna give our strike bins and we're gonna make it seem really intentional by telling <laughs> we're not gonna make it seem like this is an afterthought. Like we didn't want it to be an afterthought. But to be fair, 
it wasn't. It was like it all worked out exactly the way it was supposed to. Yeah. Because we were very well versed at the time. We were fucking sick of the strike. We're artists. We're fighting for what's fair, equal pay. But the best, so the best part is she clearly did not know. And I don't like, obviously, Tori didn't know about the strike. She's on a freaking world tour playing right. five different characters. This was her American Doll Posse tour, where for those who don't know, she was portraying five different characters on stage. Full, like, each different. Each had their own personalities. Yeah, they each had their own personalities. And wigs. And wigs. One of them hip looked just like Candy Pan, remember? Yes, Candy yeah. Pan. <laughs> Love Candy Pan. Um, but so she clearly didn't. <laughs> So we're we're telling we're giving Tori these things like Tori the writer on strike in Hollywood and, and I'm this, a writer yeah. and husband is a writer and this yeah. is very similar the issues are very similar what you face with the record companies and trying to yes. get your records back and so we're and she's kind of listening to us and she's very and she clearly doesn't but know we didn't know if we really registered we did not know well, until at the you know she said one thing you remember at the very end she goes fight the power yes remember that she goes, fight the power. <laughs> Fight the power. Fight, like, fight the power. Walks away and we're like, did Tori really like our gift? No. Then. 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 Mid-concert. Was it Yes, Anastasia? No, it was Cruel. It was was Cruel. It was Cruel. She was playing Cruel. She was playing Cruel from from the Choir Girl Hotel as Pip, as this very, like, dark, brooding, black-wigged character. And in the middle of Cruel, she goes into this rant. I mean, it was like channeled. It was like a channeled rant. It was amazing. And it was basically like, (laughs) I mean, I can't even. It was like, she said, writers, rise up. And she's like, stop sucking the cock of the corporate clones. Like the corporate clones, right. Stop sucking the cock of the. The schmegma. It was stop sucking. No, the schmegma, it. it was the schmegma infested cog of the corporate clones. Come on. And Easy and I, but the thing is, our faces, our <laughs> face, like we lost because we like, I mean, sometimes Tori will play a request. You're like, oh, Tori, please, will you play like, you know, whatever, please play. Smells like teen spirit. Like teen spirit. And she'll play it. And everyone's like, she did it for me. And it's like, did she? Because maybe like 200 people requested that. Right. But this was like, we gave her our strike. A direct bit. line. It was indirect. <laughs> and do you remember Door? You remember yeah. when Door turned around? There was yeah. this amazing, amazing Tory fan named Door, who's so sweet. So Door, like if you're like one of the number one Tor fans, she's incredible. We first met her. First time we met Door was standing in line at Tower Records to meet. Oh my Dora. god! Of course. You, me, and Candy Pan. Yes, the three of us. I love that we used to do shit like that. Um, I mean, me too. Stood in light, and and with that's where we met Dora. But I remember this very clearly because we had told Dora about giving Tori the gift because Dora right, was right. Because we, we saw her at night. the concert, we were trying to like yeah. impress her. I know, but I remember this so well because we were in the second row, and the first <laughs> row of Tori Amos concert is usually always like Tori's friends, super fans, and super fans, and friends, friends right? and family. And so we told Dora about meeting Tori. We told her, and then like Dora, I remember Dora turning around to us because she was directly in front of us and being like. Oh my god! Like I can't remember yeah. what she. We she registered, was, but then yeah. from then on, you and Dor BFFs. I love Dor. Well, I know every time you guys like you guys love each other now. I love Dor. Well, but that was, was the turning. Mo- that was the turning point. No, I see you at Sundance. But you know, honestly, like music. All all kidding aside, like music is such a point of connection. And like Tori brought us together. Like 
I do feel when I go to a Tori Amos concert. I've been going to her concerts for like two decades, just like you. Like, I know all these people now. You watch these people age and you see them at the same shows and you're like, you have a warmth toward people that you only ever see at Tori Amos concerts. It's so funny and beautiful. I know. I'm a, Abdi, I'm a huge Prince fan. And so I try to go to Paisley Park as often as I can. And my husband is always like, He's always stunned because he's like, this is like your high school reunion. Like, people are coming that, up being like, it's me, Luther from Belgium. And I'm like, oh, hey, Luther. What's no, I, yeah, but I totally get that. Like, it's why I was, I'm obviously, I'm a huge Madonna fan. Like, a love story is named after, like, a virgin and, like, a prayer. Yes. But, you know, writing that book, because Madonna is a big part of that book, and a lot of it is about the kind of what she represented to young queer people at the yeah. time, the only outspoken people. Um but it's brought all these people into my life now because other queer people are like, yeah, that's exactly the relationship I had with Madonna. Like I wasn't alone. I was the only kid in my little town and people would make fun of me for how much I loved her. And now we're like, you just get that person. Even if they're not going to be your intimate friend, they're, they mean something. Yeah. Yeah. It's you our, have this like very tight shared connection. Yeah. It's like connection. my version of sleepaway camp is like my music friends. Like, <gasps> That's such a good thing. I never went to sleepaway camp, but you're right. So true. It is so true. It's true. Um, okay, you guys, I think we got to end the podcast because I have to go home to Birdie. So why don't we just all say what we're doing our best at this week? Okay. Mine's easy. I went to the dentist. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> Abdi, what are you doing your best at this week? God, what am I doing my best at? Um, you know, it's a weird week because we just went on strike and I also am like going into promo mode for my book, which for me is not like, I don't live most of my life in promo mode. I live most of my life like hiding from the world. So I feel like what I'm doing my best at is just like cutting myself a little slack at like all the things I have to balance that feel like too much at once. We love that. We love that so much. Anytime anyone is able to say, I'm giving myself a break, cutting myself some slack, it's a win. Okay, what am I doing my Yeah, best what are you doing week? your best app is? I'm really doing my best at being present. Hmm. That's your love language, presence. Presence. No, presents are my love language. <laughs> Being present is not something that's ever been easy for me, Casey, and you know this. But that's so good. I think that is like, that's a huge gift to yourself. Because we talk a lot about showing up and how important it is, you know, but... Also, like, an important part of showing up is being present. And so to hear you say you're doing that for yourself. and present should be a love language. (laughs) It's true. I agree. It's true. Maybe it should be my new love language. Maybe I should give up presence and make (laughs) it being present. I think it's like the love language. It's like knowing that you're, and I think it's the hardest thing these days because we're all so distracted, but knowing that when you're doing something, you're doing that thing. We talk to the kids about it all the time. Like when we're with you, we're with you. And we try not to be like distracted by a million other things. But when you're doing those million other things, you have to be doing them in that moment. I mean, that really like, that's what only this beautiful moment is so much about. It's about like, being in the moment and carrying all the other shit with you, but you're in that moment. I think that I've been able to in the last week, 
like do that. And, and I think I have, I think that actually you, when you were in town, I, that was like, I was like very present. You were very present. Yeah. Whole day together. Remember? It was meant to be like a, a breakfast or, and then it turned into like, it's like, I'm like, oh shit, I have to go to the theater now. It's 8 p.m. Like, I know, but like, I felt like I was just very, I just feel like I'm, I'm more and more able to do that. And it's so weird. I'm like 43, but being present was never, has never been like a comfortable place for me. And I just feel like recent, like very recently, I've like, I'm like, oh, I'm doing that. And I really like it. It's nice. I'm so and proud also, of you. Also, it's nice to check out with your phone too. I'm yes, so both, both of those things. Both, um, we got we got to hold all things, guys. I'm proud of you because I feel like <laughs> that's what you said you wanted to start doing last week, and then this week you're saying that you did it, and that I did it. That's a huge deal, Biz. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and you'll keep doing it, and then you'll probably like not do it for a little bit, and be like, 100%. oh, I remember what it feel that it feels better to do it. You know, and then you'll do it again because we always stumble back into old habits. But I feel like we stumble for shorter periods of time every time. We kind of. And it's like the recovery and the kindness that you show yourself in those moments. So true. Yeah. Yeah, guys. Yeah. Okay. It's a great place to end it. I got to run home to Birdie, who's going to be like, watch this episode of Bloody Blood. And I'll be like, okay. (laughs) Sure. Birdie's going to be on the couch reading like a love story. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Abdi, I love you so much. You guys. Oh, this was so much fun. Okay. Abdi's book. Only this beautiful moment. Get Pre-order out. right now. Like a love story. Also, you can get. You can also just like. Just get them both. <laughs> <laughs> it's two for the price of two, guys. That's my vote. It's a great deal. Get them both. It's two for the price of two. <laughs> You're going to love it. Um, guys, we love also, you. We love you. And, and thank you for solidarity. Your, yeah. Union solid. strong. Thank you for supporting the Writers Guild and for your patience while we got this podcast out to you. It's probably a minute late, but who cares? It's but a podcast. Guess what? My, my uh, work is done. I'm yeah. done tomorrow. By exactly. next week. It will be a distant memory. (laughs) It's incredible. It's been crazy. This season has been so so hard. I this season works really hard. People don't appreciate. (laughs) I think people have no. There's no way for them to understand. Yeah, I think there's no way for anyone to understand how hard anyone else works. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, how hard anyone? Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't know. Anyway. The point being, this season is so fucking good of this show. And it's going to be like when the first AD of your show takes like five minutes at the beginning of the day on a Monday to just tell the four principal actors how impressed and like incredible and like affirming the week before of work was, uh, it's like very meaningful. Cruise, yeah. I the cruise, our cruise are just the greatest people in the world. And that's like, 
I love this industry. I fucking love it. That's so nice to hear. I love this industry too. And it's nice to hear you talk about the crew. Because again, it's a little bit like what I said about the librarians. Like in the book industry, I feel like authors get the attention. All these other people who are doing so much of the more important day-to-day work don't get a spotlight. Crews never get a spotlight. Yeah. And they're so crucial. They're so crucial. And they're so like amazing. Sets are such, they can be such like when done right and when from the top down, the tone is like one of kindness and creation and community. Like your crew becomes your family. It's so- They're fam. They are family. I'm obsessed with our crew. I got Andrew such a good rap present, guys. My driver. (laughs) He's going to love it. And his friend or his- fiance's friend, someone was listening to the podcast. Shout out to you. Because he was like, I said to him, I was like, Andrew, I talked to you about you on the podcast. Just so you know, like in case someone brings it up, I don't want you to be like, what? Yeah. Like I mentioned you and I probably said Maria is your fiance. So like, it does feel like somebody could deduce yeah. if they're in your life. And so then he was like, hey, uh, yeah, sure enough. And he like told me a friend had called, reached out Aww. and been like, are you driving Busy Phillips by any chance? <laughs> well, we love yeah. you, Andrew's friend. We do love you, Andrew's friend. And we love and everybody. We love all and of you. He gives very good gifts, so I'm sure it's good. <laughs> oh, he's about be very excited. I am. <gasps> I feel like he might cry. I'm not going to. Oh, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, if I get my driver, Andrew, to cry at this fucking gift, I am going to report back. Andrew, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a, cli- it's a cliffhanger. back. I oh. cannot fucking wait. <laughs> I'm it's, really excited. It's a cliffhanger. Okay, guys, have a great week. Have Be- a great week. We love you. And we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, no. <laughs>